Today's episode of Race Wife Unfiltered is sponsored by the I-55 Street Stock Shootout at Pike County Speedway. Hey there, race fans. Get ready for an adrenaline-fueled weekend at Pike County Speedway, where the rubber meets the road for the highly anticipated I-55 Street Stock Shootout. Brought to you by the Mississippi Street Stock Series, presented by Jackson Industrial Services and Big Al Lubricants. Mark your calendars for Friday, June 30th, and Saturday, July 1st, because you won't want to miss a single lap of this action-packed event. But wait, there's more. We've got an open practice day on Thursday, June 29th, exclusively for the pits. On Friday night, buckle up for an electrifying lineup featuring limited modifieds, street stocks, mini wedges, and pure factory stocks. Witness the thrill as drivers battle it out in qualifying and heat races, pushing their cars to the limit. Saturday night brings even more heart-pounding excitement. Get ready for street stocks, factory pure stocks, B-mains and features, late models, mini wedges, open wheel mods, and stingers. It's a jam-packed schedule that will leave you on the edge of your seat. Now let's talk about tickets. General admission for Friday is only $15 for adults. Saturday, the stakes get higher and so does the fun with tickets priced at $20 for adults. We've got something for everyone. Kids aged 6 through 12 can join the action for just $10 per day. And children 5 and under are absolutely free all weekend long. So whether you're a racing enthusiast, a family looking for an unforgettable weekend, or simply craving the thrilling experience of high-speed competition, Pike County Speedway is the place to be from June 30th to July 1st. Don't wait. Grab your friends and family, head on over to Pike County Speedway, and let's make some racing memories together. Get your tickets now and be part of the I-55 Street Stock Shootout. It's an event you won't want to miss. Welcome to Race Wife Unfiltered, hosted by your favorite bougie race wife, Rachel Thornhill. Every week, she shares stories of her life as a race wife and other women in motorsports, giving them a platform so their voices can be heard. Hey guys, welcome to Race Wife Unfiltered. I am your host, Rachel Thornhill, and we have a special guest with us today. Uh, she is a journalist for Project Dive Bomb. She's also the creator of Beyond Motorsports Media, host of Beyond Motorsports Podcast, and uh, Women in Motorsports. So um, welcome, Isabel Brito. Hi, Isabel. Hi, everyone. Thank you for having me. Glad you were able to come on um, and that you're able to be here and share your story with us. Thank you. Yeah, no, not a problem. So, um, wow. I mean, you have a lot of things going on. And so, yes. um, yeah. So, um, so tell us like what got you started um, in just being in motorsports period. Um, I mean, was this something that you were into since you were a child or like, did you become a fan later on in life? So I got into motorsport when I was eight, I started watching NASCAR. I don't watch it anymore. I stopped watching around when I was nine. 
And then I kind of left that motorsport scene for a while. I was a kid. I was growing up. So I kind of took my time on that. And then when I was 12, I found Formula One. And I've been on a wave of going in and out of Formula One for a while until last year, which is when it actually set in that I was going to be doing this for the long run. And um, and so I started watching like the whole season. I did watch the whole season. First time I watched a complete one start to end. And on December of last year, I was kind of desperate in a sense that I'm so young. I'm 21 years old and I was seeing so many people my age doing so many things that I also wanted to do. And since I'm in college right now, I'm on my last year of architecture school. So I was kind of desperate and kind of on my mind of I'm in college, but there's so many things I want to do at the same time. And I'm so young, but I'm not doing what I want to do. So I said, why not do motorsport? It's something that I, I love, something that I've loved for so many years. And I never thought about it um, before because motorsport wasn't something that I wanted to do. No, I never thought I wanted to do motorsport because recently the community in Formula One hasn't been as welcoming as it was so many years ago. And it's been so much different. So in my mind, it was why would I want to join something like that? But I also love writing and expressing myself, telling stories. So I started looking for a job, couldn't find one, kind of gave up in January. And then, and then, yeah, I found one, uh, kind of fell a lot of the, out of the sky. I prayed day and night for a job in the, of that sort in motorsport. And like two days later um, in February, like I kind of went in and out of looking for jobs. So two days later after I actually stopped looking, um, Project iPhone came along with a post of, oh, we're hiring. And yeah, that's that's how it kind of began my career in motorsport. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and I've seen, I've seen project dive bombs like posts. Yeah. They're always like hiring for like writers and, and, um, like marketing, graphic design stuff, things like that. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's amazing that you were able to, you know, apply. And then now, you know, you're able to, uh, create content for them. Um, so, I mean, it, you know, you're able to actually kind of live out that, you know, that passion of being able to write and write about something that you love. So yeah, that's, that's amazing that they were able to give you that no, opportunity yeah, inside of, uh, yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, no, they've given me so many opportunities. <laughs> no, inside of Dive Bomb, I, I'm not only just like the writer, like as writers inside of the magazine, we do a lot of stuff. So we are not only writing the articles, we are doing the graphic for our own article most of the time. On the side, I'm also working with them on uh, a project along with some other women of that's coming out on Wednesday. And my article is the one that's coming first. Um, so it's just Wednesdays, women's spotlight on Wednesdays. We are doing that. So I'm working on that with them. And I also do Fun Fact Friday with them. So I'm doing a lot of things on the side, um, apart from all those articles that I'm also writing. 
Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, that's, and that's awesome that they're actually doing like a spotlight thing on, on women in motorsports because, um, you know, I mean, I've seen a lot of their articles and yeah, they, they do focus a lot, um, on the males, but for them to be able to like give a day, like just to highlight women in motorsports is, um, you know, something that, you know, will help people like really recognize, you know, the women that are, you know, paving the way in the motorsports industry. Um, because I mean, we need, we need more publications to, to recognize them anyway. So, um, no, I think that's, I think that's an amazing thing and that you get to be a part of that. So. No, yeah, absolutely. And we need that platform to actually be able to tell our stories and what we're doing and give women that recognition, especially right now with um, this whole boom going on in motorsports. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Um, and yeah, it's like, you know, you and I are both kind of doing this, doing the same thing. Like we're both trying to give these women, you know, platforms to be able to tell their, sh their stories, you know? Um, and like, there's room for all of us. And that's why like, um, you know, I don't see, I don't see like us competition. I don't see anything like that because it's like, you know, there's room for all of us because I mean, all women in motorsports need to have a chance to share their stories, no matter, you know, what they do, um, in the industry. And so, you know, I mean, I don't, you know, I don't really see, um, I see all of us needing to collaborate and work together and not actually work against each other. And so that's why it's like, you know, I don't, it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with other, you know, other women uh, that are content creators, you know, when it comes to motorsports being on the podcast is because, I mean, we all have di different audiences and I think we all just need to work together just to be able to, you know, give all these women, you know, a chance to be able to share you know, their stories with everyone. So no, yeah, absolutely. And that's why I also started women beyond motorsport that came along about a month and a half ago, um, before we planned on doing women's spotlight Wednesday, I came up with the idea of let's interview these women in motorsport, whether they are big in the sport or not it doesn't really matter. It's just showcasing their stories and their careers and what they're doing. And I want to be able to tell those stories of what they have experienced as women in motorsports. Right. Yeah. And, and I agree with you 100%. It's like, it doesn't matter how big of a public figure they are. I mean, they, you know, they deserve to share their stories as well. Um, and that that's all that matters. You know, I mean, and, and the, it's the same thing with me. Like, I feel, you know, all women that are in motorsports, no matter what size, you know, following they have or whatever, that, you know, they all need a chance to share their stories. So, yeah, no, I totally agree with you on that one. <laughs> but um, so what came about um, with Beyond Motorsport? So that your podcast. So what made you like start that? So... It all comes and it stems from uh, Women Beyond Motorsport. Mm -hmm. It started with that idea and then all of a sudden it became much more bigger than myself. I didn't even plan on doing a podcast until next year. I didn't even plan to release Mo Beyond Motorsport Media until next year. Um, 
but then I said, you know, like, why not? Why not do it now? It's not going to be different if I do it now or if I do it later. If I do it now, it's better because I can start growing now and get that going now instead of waiting and growing it later. Doesn't really make, didn't really make a difference. Um, so yeah, I started it, but it became, um, it started with Women Beyond Motorsport and then I said, well, what if, why only showcase women? Like, let's do something apart where we do showcase everyone in motorsport. However big or small they are, again, doesn't really matter. It's just showcasing everyone and their projects and what they're doing. So that's what I want to do with um, the podcast and Beyond Motorsport Media in general. It's just showcasing everyone's um, representation in motorsport. Yeah. Um, and I think that's an amazing thing that you're doing because, um, you know, I, even a lot of the other like motorsports podcasts, um, I'm not sure if you, you know, if you've realized that, but most of them, they tend to cater to pretty much just F1. Right. Um, and they don't really cater to any of the other, um, racing organizations, um, and so I feel it, it creates like a disadvantage for a lot of, um, the other drivers, you know, that are, you know, whether, whether it, they're in, um, like NASCAR or if they're in, um, NHRA, you know, road, like the road course racers, rally racers, whatever they may be, a lot of them don't get, they don't get like that platform that F1 does. Um, I mean, there's plenty of F1 podcasts all over the place, but it's like, you don't really have anybody else that's really trying to cater to, um, any of the drivers in any of the other, uh, racing organizations. And no, I, I think that's, I think that's amazing because it's like you and I are kind of on the same page when it comes to that. It's like, we feel like those, you know, those people deserve a platform too, and not just F1 drivers, and so it's like, you know, there needs to be more podcasts that cater to these other these other racers and give them the chance as well. So, yeah, absolutely. Especially now that we're seeing uh, other series come mm -hmm. up and grow more, like, let's say, Indy and NASCAR over the past few years, they've been growing more than they <laughs> were um, so many years ago. Right. And that's a market that's starting to grow more and that's new drivers that are coming in and they are not getting showcased as much. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're seeing it a lot, especially, well, when it comes to NASCAR, you're mainly seeing it with like the Xfinity, um, the truck drivers and then, um, and then ARCA, cause obviously they don't get as much TV time as the cup series does. And so, you know, a lot of those, a lot of those drivers, people don't really know them. Um, you know, there's only a few of them that you hear about on a regular basis, especially, um, when it comes to like the ARCA series, like Tony Brading, or most people know who she is, obviously, because of a lot of the things that she does outside of NASCAR. Um, but besides her, you don't really know. And Haley Deegan, I mean, those two, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of people know who they are. But besides them, you don't really know a lot of the ARCA series drivers or anybody like in the truck series or, um, you know, even like 
the like the the NASCAR like wheel in series, most people don't know any of those drivers unless you know you you are somebody that uh, really follows it. But it it doesn't have that type of um, like media coverage um, that that the other series have. So like a lot of people don't know who the drivers are unless they're, you know, local and they know who they are because they follow it on a regular basis. So, yeah, I, so I agree. It's like, you know, a lot of these people need to have, you know, um, a platform as well and they don't really have it. So, yeah, at least with NASCAR, the people I've been able to talk to, like, mm -hmm. yes, I do know Haley and, and right. Antonia, uh, mostly everyone knows them, even if mm -hmm. they don't watch the series right. as much. But there's other other women like Amber, mm -hmm. Amber Balkan. Like not a lot of people know her, and she right. is great. Mm -hmm. I've interviewed her, and she's an absolute delight. Her career, and she has such a huge achievement because she's not American, right? And those are also the people with those achievements that we need to talk about. Yeah, no, I agree. And then, you know, then you also have Mandy Chick, that's also um, a female driver in the ARCA series. And, you know, she, I mean, now, of course, she is American, but, I mean, she, you know, she doesn't have, like, that that big of a following. Like, a lot of people don't know who she is. And, um, you know, she deserves, you know, that you know, that platform as well. And then you also have, you know, there's women in like the NASCAR Mexico series and people don't ever talk about the Mexico series. Right. Oh, um, no, exactly. So like there's different, there's so many different, um, drivers that you don't hear about. And then you also have, I mean, even in the truck series, you have a Japanese, you know, driver that, I honestly, I didn't even know that there was one until yesterday. And I was like, wow, <laughs> he's actually been racing for a while. And I had no idea. And it's like, because oh. nobody talks about it. And I was like, oh, well, I had no idea that we even had a Japanese driver in NASCAR. Like, and I mean, you know, he lives in North Carolina and he literally like he, you know, he does like some of the stuff in the Arca series, but, you know, he also drove in, in, in the craftsman's truck too. And I'm like, I had no idea. So it's like, yeah, like there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of them that just, you know, you don't even know about. Um, and it's like, it's, I feel it's not fair to them because it's like, you know, more people should know about them. Um, But, you know, there's, it's just, there's not that media coverage because with the ARCA series and, um, which he mainly races in, he doesn't race in the truck series that as much the ARCA series, unless you have flow racing, you don't really, you know, get a chance to really watch, um, you know, them race because that's where, you know, most of it's broadcasted and not everybody is willing to pay, you know, for a subscription. So, mm -hmm. yeah, so that, you know, so that really limits how many people actually get to see, you know, see them race. Same thing with the Will and series. That's all on flow racing. So it's like, um, and some people don't want to pay that price, you know, to be able to watch it. Um, and so, yeah, it limits their fan base a lot. No, yeah, and there's so many series. There's an endless <laughs> amount of racing series mm -hmm. that 
could be covered more um because honestly formula one in the past few years it has gone a bit boring and other series <laughs> <laughs> other series have gotten a, a bit more interesting yeah um and the better formats and better action and track than and we are not seeing those races being showcased and i mean it comes it does come with with a price that not everyone is not everyone has the access to it like i live in south america i do not have access to any of those subscriptions so even right. if i wanted to buy them i wouldn't be able to the <laughs> only subscription that i think we're allowed is formula 1 oh okay Okay. So any anything else like we don't have that because we don't get those international sh channels mm -hmm. and TV channels that other people do get. So so yeah, there's so many series that could be covered more on a more international level and they're not. Wow, yeah. So yeah, and seeing that's something that I didn't, you know, I didn't really think about until you mentioned that. It's like, yeah, there's certain, you know, depending on what country you live in, you could be blocked from accessing certain, you know, certain races and things like that. Um, and like you mentioned, for you, it it, you know, you pretty much have access to Formula One, but outside of that, you might not really have access to anything else. Um, and Unfortunately, that, you know, that makes it harder for you to be able to get into another, you know, another series if you're not able to, you know, get access to it. Un unless like you're you're just pretty much watching like highlights on like YouTube or something like that. That would be about all you could you could do. Um, and yeah, so I could see how that would be really difficult um, and and see like here um you know with f1 f1 is like on espn plus that's an that's a subscription you have to pay for um now now for some people um here in the u.s um and like for myself so i have verizon which is my cell phone service they actually give you that for free um, with certain plans. So you get Hulu, Disney plus and ESPN plus as a bundle. Um, so luckily I have access to ESPN plus for technically for free because it kind of comes with my cell phone plan subscription, but for other people, if they don't have Verizon, um, they would actually have to pay for that. And so it's a whole nother subscription that they have to pay for. Um, and so, you know, it ends up putting people in that same situation. It's like if, you know, if you're if you don't have the, you know, financial capability to pay for that, then you're not able to access, you know, F1. And then or they also have what the F1 app um, streaming service, too. And so that's obviously another uh, that's another, you know, expense there as well. So yeah, I think I think that's the only issue um, it, with a lot of with F one is that for some people it's not financially feasible. Um, you know, if they have to pay for a, you know for an app to be able to watch it, um, and especially here in the U.S., it's like you know that's really the only way that you have access to it is through ESPN Plus, or, or unless you actually pay for the F one 
you know, streaming service. So. so we get it on, so we have DirecTV as our cable service. Mm -hmm. So we get ESPN, the normal channel, and then mm -hmm. we get ESPN 2, 3, and 4. And okay. F1 we see on ESPN 2, but they don't, mm -hmm. uh, they don't transmit the whole weekend. They just occasionally do qualifying and then every weekend you have the race okay uh, as normal so if i want to watch uh everything all mm -hmm. events i have to basically pirate everything mm -hmm. which is kind of legal in my country we don't exactly follow rules here <laughs> <laughs> so you're not gonna get in trouble uh but yeah that's that's what most people do and nascar we do we do get a bit of nascar but not as much we get the race Mm -hmm. But everything else that comes along with it, with it, we don't. And then MotoGP, they do the whole, the whole uh, all the events. Yeah. But anything else, if I want to watch Formula E or Formula 2 or 3, if I want to watch the smaller NASCAR series, like mm -hmm. I won't be able to. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, it, it's uh, difficult for us to watch um, a lot of things here too sometimes because sometimes it's not even really broadcasted at all um or they like might broadcast it through like youtube um instead so like some of the smaller uh most i wouldn't really say smaller but it it would be kind of like smaller to us i guess like because they might not just they don't really have like the bro the broadcasting budget um so like gt world challenge and um there's a couple other ones um like the go go trans am series things like that um radical cup all of those um they actually broadcast all of it through either twitch or youtube because they don't have they don't have tv deals so it, it's like you you would have to watch it through youtube or twitch just to be able to watch um the race and they do like all of it. They do like practice qualifying, all of that. But it's it's just streamed. They're live streams. So it's like if you don't catch it, you know, you'd have to wait for the replay, you know, later on. And so that's how they're done. They're done just as live streams because they don't have they just don't have like a, a TV deal where anybody is actually broadcasting it. So we have a we have a lot of series like that that you know they that's how they have to put everything out there is you know it's either that or they have they would have to put out the money to create their own streaming app or something like that and so that's why they just use YouTube or, or Twitch. This is what they could have done with F1 Academy. <laughs> so many great women racing there, and they don't have a broadcast yeah yeah i heard about that and i'm like and i find that odd because f1 has the money like they do they yeah. have the money to do it and even if they truly didn't want to pay like if they didn't want to put it on espn or anything like that they could have done the live stream like through twitch or or youtube that's free like you don't have to pay yeah. for that right <laughs> i mean because people do it all the time so that that's what i didn't understand either when you know um because there were some other creators that had mentioned it and it's like 
they could have easily created a YouTube channel. It wouldn't have taken five minutes to create a YouTube channel and they could have easily just streamed all of it. Um, but I don't know, like for some reason they, I guess they didn't feel it was necessary, but I mean, there's just so many women on there that they deserve mm -hmm. to have that put out there. And I mean, just anybody in F1 Academy, because I mean, they're up and coming. People don't really know who they are. And so it's like for them to be able to build their brand and for people to know who they are, they have to have the TV time. They have to be known. And that's, and honestly, that would give them those, that platform. And yeah, I found that really odd that they weren't going to do anything. It's like even these smaller series at least do YouTube or Twitch. Um, and so, yeah, no, I mean, yeah. it could have done something similar. They did it with Formula E. Like we see how they do practice sessions on YouTube and they post the whole practice session. Even if mm -hmm. they don't post the race, like that's fine. But you're also giving this other events for people to watch if they want to. And if they want to watch uh, the race, I mean, I don't know how you would watch Formula E. I'm not sure because I've never watched it. Mm -hmm. um, but they do highlights and stuff. But for F1 Academy, Formula One has the money. They just didn't want to put it into Formula One Academy. They didn't give them the budget to do it. And they do YouTube highlights and stuff. But that, I mean, that's not enough. No, no, I agree with you. That isn't enough. I mean, because highlights, you know that there's going to be people that are cut out right? Like there's going to be, there's not going to be very much and highlights are very, very short. So, I mean, it automatically doesn't give enough people that are in the Academy, you know, that, that spotlight. And uh, yeah, I, I feel it's a disadvantage to them. Um, because you know, the whole point for them, I mean, and, you know, and a lot of it is because they're, you know, they're obviously, learning right they're learning they're you know getting in the car trying to get familiar with the car but even so it's like it it helps fans get accustomed to you know those racers their names and everything and I, I feel f1 is just is just giving that's just like making it more of a disadvantage for them for when they do finally get out of the academy because then they're just not going to have, they're not going to have their name recognition, um, which also, and, you know, and obviously you and I being both around motorsports know that the bigger your name, the more funding you get. Right. So F1 is actually hurting those people in the Academy because it's also going to, obviously their name recognition is not going to be very big. And for a personal brand like that, that's how you get sponsors. That's how you get more funding which means this hinders them from getting more funding down the line because people are not going to know who they are. You know, they're not going to know anything about these drivers. And then when they try and go and get more sponsorship they they don't really have anything to show for it because there's, you know, they don't, there's no video coverage of them. You know, there's, there's nothing really out there about them unless they do it themselves. And I feel, you know, that that's really not what F1 should be doing. F1 is really supposed to be helping them build their brand and they're actually 
hindering them and they're having to do it all by themselves. And yeah, I, I just think that they went about it the wrong way with F1 Academy by doing that. So no, yeah. And I, I know some of these girls, um, mm -hmm. because of interviews I've done with them. And I know for a fact that they struggled enough getting the sponsors to get into F1 Academy. And now that they're not getting TV time, they're not getting any kind of broadcasting time. Those sponsors might back off. Yeah. Yeah. And then, no, yeah. You're absolutely right. Because I mean, that's how they make money is by having, you know, having their name come across a TV screen. And if their if their name isn't coming across a TV screen, then they're not they're not gonna, you know, in their mind that they're not gonna get a return on investment because that's it's not being shown. I mean, the only people that are going to know about it is if there's anybody at the race, you know, and that's it. Um, and that's not really enough for, you know, how much these sponsors pay, right? I mean, because, I mean, to be a sponsor in F1 period, I know costs so much money. And it's like for them to make that money back, they have to have the TV time. And if F1's not being, you know, F1 Academy is not being broadcasted, nobody's going to see their brand name come across that screen because there is no screen to see. And yeah, that, and unfortunately it's going to hurt those drivers more than F1 because F1, I mean, they already have so much money between all of their series that they, you know, to them, it almost seems like F1 Academy is an afterthought. Like it's not really, yeah. they're not really thinking about it. They're just kind of like, uh, you know, we're not really going to throw any money towards this. You guys are on your own. And that's not, you know, that's not fair to these drivers, like you mentioned, because it's like they, I mean, most of, especially a lot of these women that, that came into F1 Academy, they, you know, they really, I mean, they had to bust their asses to get into F1 in the first place. And then it's like, you know, and then some of them, I mean, who knows? They probably didn't really have the sponsorship money, like you mentioned, and they had to scrape for sponsorship. And now there's a chance that they could lose all of that because the sponsors are not, they're not getting the money, you know, they're not getting any return on investment because they're, they're not even being shown on a broadcast. So it's not fair. To, it's not fair to the drivers. And, and it's like F1's just like, you know, they're more focused on their regular races. And it's like pretty much anything lower than that, you know, it's like, F2 through F4 and then into the F1 Academy, they're just like, eh, you know, it's whatever. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, this is, this is what we have. <laughs> and this is that and then the GT yeah. series too. Like the, um, because I actually interviewed, um, I actually interviewed, um, two of the drivers from formula woman and, you know, for the GT series and, they even mentioned about it, you know, with funding, like they, they struggle with funding as well. And that's, in, that's insanity in me because it's like, you know, formula woman should not be struggling, you know, to get the funding that they, you know, that they need. Um, and so it's hindering them when it comes to racing as much as they want. And so, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it, it's just really odd to me. You would think as big as F1 is and the amount of money that, 
comes into that, you know, that racing organization, that they would manage it a lot better and give the smaller portions of their series, you know, their organization, you know, more TV time recognition, more money um, than they do with just regular F1. Like I, I feel they just sink all their money in there. And then it's like the rest of you kind of fend for yourselves, <laughs> you know? And um, yeah. And I think, and honestly, like that was something that I actually thought about and I don't know. And, and you know, if this is not how you feel about it, you know, that's fine. Like, I'd love to hear your opinion on it, but I had actually replied on an Instagram um, reel by, um, by Ash Vandalay, obviously major Twitch creator, you know, and she had m- mentioned about the Miami Grand Prix, how it's mainly catered to the, to the sponsors and the businesses because of the prices. Right. And that, you know, it's not really catered to the fans because I mean, who can afford $10,000 for like there $10,000. Well, there was like certain packages, like one of them was like $10,000 for, for oh, like to be in like yeah, a certain no. area and stuff. And the food there, like it cost like almost $300 for some nachos that fed like supposedly it feeds four people. But you know, you know how a lot of like fine dining stuff, they say it feeds mm-hmm. that much, but I don't know how it feeds people because that stuff is so small. <laughs> the portion, no. Right. The portions are like. <laughs> itty bitty i'm like there's no way that feeds like four people like that barely feeds me but yeah um so yeah no they had nachos that were like 275 dollars and it was supposedly it was supposed to feed four people but i didn't get to see how much food you were getting but i highly doubt it fed four people because let's be even real if it was even if it was feeding four people it is not worth that much amount of money not not nachos like i mean they were like they were oh carne asada um nachos but still i'm sorry i love that but it, i'm sorry but i wouldn't pay almost 300 dollars for nachos like that's not something that i could even think about dropping money on but that's what they were saying like um the like the money that you had to drop to be able to be there was ridiculous and and they're like that's not feasible for fans you know regular fans right obviously that's going to only cover a certain demographic because yeah it's like they had so many different packages and it's like you could be in like certain areas um like and then like they even had like more of like a vip package that was closer to like they had like yachts that were like almost in the middle of like right off right off of the track um, and that was like so much. And honestly, they didn't even put the pricing for that because I'm sure like mo- most people couldn't even afford that. So it's like, why would you even try to get, you know, try to even <laughs> do it right? Like not a regular person could afford that. And it was more of like a celebrity type of it. Like it was mainly like celebrities that were there and sponsors and they were mainly catering to, you know, to them, to them. People that have 10, 20,000 to just drop, you know, like that, like that's toilet paper to them. Right. Um, And I think, I think that, that, and that was something that I mentioned. I said, you know, 
I feel that F1 is completely out of touch now that they don't cater to their fans because most fans cannot afford that. Like, I don't know anybody right now that could just drop $10,000 on going to a race, like as if it's nothing, you know? Um, and I said that they need to cater more to their fans because to be honest, the fans are the reason why sponsors are even there, right? Because the sponsors have to be able to sell their stuff to be able to afford to pay for your cars. So if they can't, if your fans cannot even afford to go to your races and put enough butts in the seats, then you're going to eventually lose sponsors, which in turn means you get less money, right? So, and then that means you're going to have to start cutting, you know, cutting stuff because you're not going to have the funding. And that's what I was saying. Like, I feel F1 has gotten so out of touch with that and it could eventually now, I mean, it might take a while, but it could eventually hurt them because they're only catering to the sponsors and nothing else, you know, and sponsors are there because of fans. I mean, they have to, they have to make money somehow. <laughs> right. So <laughs> it's like, y'all are not thinking about that. Like, that's the whole point is like, if you have fans, they spend money, which in turn makes sponsors spend more money with you because they're making money. If they're not making money, they're not going to spend money with you. Uh, and so, yeah, I feel they've gotten really out of touch with it. And, um, and some people, like a lot of people agreed with me, but then there were some people that are like, well, F1's always been this way. Like, it's never going to change. I'm like, I get that. I get they might not change, but at the same yeah. time, eventually it's going to catch up with them. You know, it might not be right now, but yeah. No. Yeah. I get the point of, yeah, F1 has always been this expensive, mm -hmm. um, but the most expensive I've seen is this, what you're telling me. Like, I didn't know. Yeah. And I saw people I know going to that Grand Prix and being on the uh, paddock club thing. And I was like, okay, great that you have that money to drop. Mm -hmm. But even if I, if I had that money, if that was toilet paper to me, I would never. Yeah. Because it's, it's not worth it, especially that Miami Grand Prix that was such a show that not even the drivers liked. They were fed up with it. So why would I pay for something that not even the drivers want to be in? Yeah. Yeah. No, and you're right. And then, yeah, and like they and like there was even drivers complaining about how the driver intro thing was shit. And they thought that that made no sense. And why, you know, why are we doing this and that? And like there was a lot of fans like in the you know on social media and stuff complaining about why are the drivers complaining about driver intros like like they should be okay with that blah blah blah. Well, the thing is, if that's something that they're not used to, you know, if that's something that like in into them, it's like that's not what they want, you know. I mean, you can't really be like, oh well, you need to be okay with it and deal with it thing is if the driver like when you piss off drivers it becomes a problem right like the, if the drivers are pissed at the organization for how they're running stuff then that's a major red flag that needs to be addressed because it's like if they're doing something that the drivers can't stand then 
you piss off drivers and drivers the drivers are the ones that make you money you know like i mean if they're getting pissed off about stuff i mean you gotta you gotta be willing to take a step back and be like okay obviously this is not working we need to fix things and obviously they don't like all this and 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 the thing is i know part of it was they were like it was taking too long and they were in and it was too hot and they were like start like some of them were starting to like get extreme like almost getting like you know felt like they were going to get heat stroke and stuff from being out there in their suits i totally understand that because you know standing in those suits and stuff like that it's mm-hmm. it's already hot in those suits anyway yeah. and then miami obviously tropical type weather and it's humid as hell you know i mean I totally understand why they would have had a problem with standing out there for so long. But, um, but yeah, like, um, I guess they don't, they're not really thinking about that. Like they're not, it's like, you can't piss off your drivers. If you're pissing your drivers off, that's, that's a huge problem, you know, that you really need to address. And yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like I felt, I felt like, um, if they all had an issue with that Grand Prix, then that is something that F1 really needs to like look at, you know, mm-hmm. as a whole. No, yeah. And I think the only driver I saw that actually liked the whole show, <laughs> it's the most predictable driver ever, <laughs> Lewis. Right. Like, why wouldn't he? He yeah. loves the attention. It's yeah. yeah. I mean, honestly, yeah. I saw like uh, pictures, like, I saw pictures in like, um, and also like reels of him. I mean, he literally looked like he was walking on a runway half the time yeah, with his yeah. outfits. So I mean, <laughs> that's typical. Yeah. Yeah. He, yeah. he loves making the weekend a whole show, his fashion show. Yeah, so, exactly. Like, so I mean, for him sense. to not be, to be okay with it. I mean, honestly, like that, like you said, that was typical. Like you were, you would have yeah. expected that from him. <laughs> Yeah, but other drivers, they they mm-hmm. were just like, no, this is taking too long. We don't need that much show. We're here to do our yacht, our job, yeah. not be the clowns of your organization. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and you know, and, and obviously, driver intros, depending on what organization it is, they're all done differently. Um, mm-hmm. I know, like with obviously with NASCAR, driver intros is a big thing. You know, they always do it. It's always something that, you know, that is done. And it's always a big ordeal, right? Like they do fireworks sometimes in the middle of it, you know, you know, explosive type stuff, things like that. You know, it it tends to be a a major thing. But, um, but yeah, like you said, if F1, like if that's just something that they're not used to and that's not a thing, then, you know, why change it? Like, what made you change it for this one thing? Like, this one Grand Prix? Like, what made you want to do it, like, completely different? And it's like, yeah, I mean, I totally understand why they didn't, you know, they wouldn't really want that. That's like, you know, if it's not broke, don't fix, like, don't fix it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's like, exactly. it's one of those situations. Like, if this is not something you normally do, then why are you doing it? Um, and yeah. I feel like they, they kind of put themselves in that type of situation. Um, but it, yeah, it's like, it's the weirdest yeah, it, thing. It's, it's a whole thing. And I, I, I do think that they're going to do the same thing with Vegas. 
probably so. Gonna, that uh, makes sense. It's going to be another money grab, another celebrity show, driver, long driver intros with a song that isn't even good. Being honest. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. No, that makes sense. But, and like you said, I mean, because M- Miami, Vegas, those type of areas here, I mean, is literally no different than like Monaco, right? Or something like that. Like, if you want to compare it to like another international place, like an international place where there's a ton of money, right? There's a ton of money there. And so, yeah, it's going to be some big celebrity field event. And that's really all it's going to be. Um, and I mean, I, and don't get me wrong. I do. I do like the Monaco Grand Prix. You know, I think I do like it. But let's be real. Can most people afford to go to it? Absolutely not. Right. I mean, it's no different than Miami or Las Vegas here. The, you know, it's way out of a normal person's price range. So, yeah, I mean, it'll be kind of the same situation, but in euros, you know, exactly. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> Monaco is really expensive. Yeah. And it's probably one of the most expensive races ever in mm-hmm. country, city, everything. Right. It's just so expensive. So just staying in monaco that's a couple thousand mm-hmm. let alone having getting the tickets and transportation like that's not viable for any kind of fan unless you're just rich yeah exactly like you would yeah because i mean some people are even watching the race from yachts you know yeah and like right there that shows you like how out of touch you have to be <laughs> you know it's like you literally have to have you know like money coming out your ass like you know it has to be money that you could just literally throw away to be able to afford to go to something like that um and yeah like i just feel like for you know other demographics like a middle class person can't afford that like that's something that they would have to probably save for 10 years to just go to right and like that that's it's just not feasible for a normal person. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's a major bucket list thing. Like I would love to go to the Monaco GP. Like, I mean, you know, I think anybody would, you know, um, because it's, I mean, it's an amazing place. First of all, like I would just want to go to Monaco period because it's such a beautiful place, but you know, for, for something like that, that's just like not, it's just not something that most people can afford to do. And I just think it, I just think it's like F1 just kind of needs to realize that like they do need to make some stuff a little bit more feasible for, you know, people that don't have that type of money. Um, I think that's also why a lot of people in the U S don't go to F1 races is because of that. Like, and and it's not to hate on F1, but if you look at the prices between F1 and like Indy or F1 and NASCAR, regular people can afford to go to a NASCAR race. Regular mm. people can afford to go to an Indy car race. Like it's not, it's not untouchable, you know? And, and you also, mm. on those, ra- sorry, on those yeah, races, okay. you're also getting more access to the drivers because I've seen those paddocks 
are open to people mm-hmm. just to walk through meet the drivers like you're getting more of an experience with those races than with formula one where all those drivers are closed off mm. on another area that you can't even access unless you're invited got it yeah and so and see like with nascar um now you have to pay for uh, the garage experience but it's not very expensive it's very it's high it's very inexpensive um and yeah you ha- you have access to the garage and you're able to like go through there and take pictures and sometimes sometimes the uh the drivers are in there at certain times but and then even even not not even just that but like for example we go to Talladega every year like they do a parade like down Talladega Boulevard and like the drivers are on the floats like they're touching people's hands they're all like they're even hanging out with people down down there you know mm-hmm. like and they're they're approachable like they're just walking around with people like you can approach them it's no big deal um but yeah like you mentioned with f1 that's all closed off you know like you're not able to just possibly hang out with a driver you know like it doesn't it that <laughs> just doesn't happen but like nascar makes it to where you know, I mean, there's times where they'll be driving around like on golf carts around the in, the infield and you can hang out with them, you know, like it's not they're not unapproachable. And I think, yeah, I think that makes a huge difference with like just the whole experience, because if you're not able to really interact with the drivers or be able to like even get autographs and stuff. And that's another thing, too, like sometimes they'll show up at like different like tents that vendors set up and stuff and they'll be like oh this driver is going to be here for like an autograph session at this time you know like a lot and they do that a lot with nascar like a lot of the drivers do that and so yeah it's like that that makes it but even um and like i know you mentioned like moto gp and things like that but i know like when it's now moto america but when i went to one of the races it was AMA like they that that was just what they called it um at the time well um the super bites they're like they're not closed off at all like you can literally walk down and just literally meet all the drivers and they hand so much stuff to you like my like my daughters walked away with so much stuff you know because like they're just signing things they're just giving things away to the kids like they're all approachable because they're literally just like, they were all lined up on pit road and you could meet all of them. Like, no, yeah. You you have the same experience. Like I've seen it in formula regional, Mm -hmm. the European uh, series. I've seen on there that you can walk through, go into the garage, talk to the driver, spend time with them. Like you can see them working on the car. And I've seen it with F1 Academy as well. I know like that's a newer series, but that accessibility that you have to get that experience with a driver, that's what's worth paying for. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And unfortunately, like you mentioned with F1, that's just not feasible. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's just not possible because they, they keep them exclusive like that to where, you know, fans can't really, you know, interact with them. And that, you know, that's not really fair to the fans Um, because, and I think that that's why a lot of these smaller um, 
a lot of these smaller racing organizations, I think that's, that's where they've gotten it right because you can, you have access to the paddocks. You have access to all of that, to the garages, all of it. Um, whether that means you have to pay a little bit more or sometimes it's just automatically included. Um, and that, that's what makes it better. That's what makes fans come back because they get to be able to, you know, hang out with their driver maybe for a second, you know, whatever. I mean, get something signed, whatever it may be, talk to them if they have a little bit of time, but you know, when you cut drivers off and they're not able to interact with their fans, that kind of bring, it brings the fans morale down to where they don't really like, they feel like you don't want them there. Like you, you're literally cutting all the fans off. Like you're just, you just want them there to put, you know, put their butts in the seats, but that's it. Um, and I think that, I think that's why if you notice, you don't really have a lot of regular fans in, at these F1 races, it's just more of a promotional event. You know, it's literally almost like a red carpet appearance type thing. Yeah. If you think about it, because it's like you see all these random like celebrities and stuff like that. And it literally just seems like the motorsports version of a red carpet. And it's no, yeah. And we also get to see the difference like on weekends where we have Formula Two or Formula Three mm-hmm. at the same time as Formula One on the same track on the same days. We see a huge difference between the people who have access in Formula One and the people who are going into that Formula Two, Formula Three area. Mm-hmm. Like everyone goes into that Formula Two, Formula Three area and they get the whole experience. And then you see this whole exclusive paddock club where you don't even get access to the drivers or anything at all. Like they say it on their page, like you might see a driver. Might pass through. Might. (laughs) He would just walk by, but you're not exactly like getting the access. You're not getting the experience. So that's what's getting more people more interested in the smaller series, like other formula, smaller, smaller series, more than formula one. Um, because they're just doing so, so much better of a job at getting people engaged to those drivers. Yeah. And yeah. And and I agree with you. And like you mentioned for that paddock club, it's like, why spend all that money if you don't even get access to anything? Like, it just seems like you're almost just paying the money just to say that you did it. You're just getting access to like this private area where you get to see mm-hmm. everything and that's it. And like mm-hmm. food that costs more than the passes or whatever. I don't even know what the price are in food or, or if it's included, but like you don't get that much. Got it. Yeah. Um, I mean, it could be catering because I know some I know some of them do that, uh, whereas like they'll do like a catering and like almost like an open bar. But I don't even know, like with F1, I'm sure like, honestly, if you were charging like people almost three hundred dollars for nachos, it might not be. Much. <laughs> they might not even have. Catering. I doubt it. I'm, I mean, gosh, I don't even know. When I saw that menu, because somebody somebody had posted the, a menu on Instagram, that's how I saw it. 
like they even had like it was a lava cake like those chocolate lava cakes that was almost four hundred dollars oh, i'm like for a chocolate lava cake like your desserts are almost four hundred dollars like, i'm sorry no i can do that at home for way right? less right i'm like are you serious like i could go like if i truly wanted to go to like a restaurant and get like a chocolate lava cake right it would not be four hundred dollars no like i mean you can get normally like one serving for uh, maybe 15 20 bucks at the most like depending like depending on where you go but not four hundred dollars and like and like it said everything was pretty much to serve four people um but yeah no, I couldn't believe that. I was like, yeah, maybe not. Like, honestly, I was like, man, like, if, if there's anybody that's just regular people there, like, they can't even afford to eat, like, at the track. <laughs> like, they're going to have to eat before they even get there. No, because yeah, I've seen a lot of people uh, do what you should bring to mm -hmm. whatever GP. Um, so that you're good. And it's just usually there's, oh, bring a lot of snacks. Because for one, you're going to be waiting in line for a long time. And right. also, races are long. So you got to bring a lot of snacks if you want to eat. Mm -hmm. And that just, it doesn't make sense. Because if, if I'm buying a ticket for something, mm -hmm. especially for a race, I would ideally want to have access to those small amenities. Yeah. Which I found that insane because the with NASCAR, so when you pay for like the garage experience, there's one area where they literally give you food for free. Like you get a hamburger and fries and a drink for free. Now, yeah, the line is long, but like they break it up into like four or five like lines and like it moves fast and you get it for free because like we didn't know that was for free at first. And so when we got up there, like my husband asked the lady, like, well, how much do I owe you? She's like, oh, nothing. It's free. And we we're like, wait, what? Like, we don't have to pay for this? No. Like, the burger, the fries, and the drink was free. We didn't have to pay for any of it. And because we had paid to get into the garage experience. So it was included. You know, you just had to get in line. And I was like, Oh, okay. Like I was expecting to like pay because you know obviously, track food is going to obviously be more expensive anyway than regular food, and so I was expecting us to pay God knows like maybe like ten fifteen dollars per burger and you know whatever. No, it was free, and the fact that NASCAR can just give out free food like that, and F one wants to charge you three hundred dollars, and I know they make more money than NASCAR does. <laughs> yeah, like you would think that. You know, I just found that insane. And I'm like, yeah, no, like they gave that away for free. Like we didn't pay for it. Yeah. Cause it's like, they gave you like a little ticket thing. Mm -hmm. And so you went up there and just handed that and then you got the food for free. So those are the kind of things they should be doing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, I mean, you wait a while, but you got it. You got it for nothing. Like we didn't pay for anything. It's like, I mean, come on. Like F1 could do something like that for their fans. I mean, yeah, shoot, they make enough money to do it. But it, it that just shows that it's more about the money. 
with them. Mm -hmm. And it's not really about the fan experience um, because there really isn't a fan experience if you think about it, because they're not catering to the fans at all. Um, You know, you guys are not getting like, you know, anybody that is a F1 fan is not able to really get that type of experience. Number one, if they can't even afford to go to a race and two, even if they can afford to go to a race, they might not be able to afford even the food. Like they might, you know, it's like you're going to have to like save God knows how much just to be able to eat there. Um, So, yeah, it's just I just find that really odd that they don't really want to cater to the fans. It's like, that's what racing's all about is the community. You know, your fans is what created your sport in the first place. If you didn't have fans, you wouldn't even have a sport because it had to start somewhere, right? Because before you had sponsors, before you had any of that, you had to have people that were willing to come watch it. And I, and that's why I feel they're so out of touch because it's like fans is what make or break sports. If you don't have fans, you don't have a sport. You don't have anything because all your sponsors are going to pull out everybody because if nobody's watching and nobody's there, you know, I mean, sure, you have a lot of people possibly watching ratings wise because they can't afford to go. Yeah, your TV yeah, your TV absolutely. deals might be doing extremely well, but your your ticket sales are shit. I mean, because unless you you know you're selling ten thousand like ten thousand dollar tickets or things like that, you know these VIP sections and stuff and these sky boxes. Other than that, if you don't have that, you don't have and you don't have regular people that are able to afford it. You you know you don't have a sport. Literally, all you have is a business. That's it. You have a regular mm-hmm. business and you don't have fans and like, and you only have fans that are watching through a TV screen. And that's yeah, not exactly. really like, that's not how most fans want to experience a motorsport. They want to be able to physically go and see it firsthand. And if you are making it so like the financially out, like out of reach for your fans that they can't even afford to go to a race that's when you start to have problems and that's where they are. It's like, you're making it where none of your fans can afford to go. Like it's sad, but some people were like, it's cheaper to go to, to literally fly to Europe to go to an F1 race sometimes over there than it is to go to one here in the U S you know, like, and that's sad. Like you shouldn't have to fly to another country to go to an F1 race because it actually costs you less to do that than to drive so many hours away, you know, away and not have to fly across the, across the, you know, across the pond or wherever, you know, to go, to go to an F1 race. Um, yeah. Cause there were some people saying that it was cheaper to just do it that way to literally fly out of the U S to go to Europe or Asia, wherever, and go to an F1 race than it is to just go to one here. And it's like, that's not helping you with the, with your U.S. based fans at all. If they can't afford to go to a race here, then, you know, how are you going to build up that fan base? It's like, I know that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to focus on the U S a lot, make it more affordable. You know, if you do that, then you'll be able to grow that base. But people are just watching it on ESPN plus that's it. 
Like people are watching it on ESPN. That's it. Because nobody can afford to go to the races out here. Um, now I know Coda, I believe in Austin is mm-hmm. less expensive. That's yeah. probably the mo- that's probably the only one that's considered somewhat mm-hmm. affordable here. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's still, I mean, it's still not that cheap, you know, but it's way cheaper than Vegas and, and, um, and Miami, of course, mm-hmm. but it's still for some people that's still out of reach, you know? Um, but it's not as bad. It's a little bit, you know, more reasonable than the other two, but yeah, it's still, all yeah. it's still a lot. So yeah. No, and, and they definitely have a problem. I mean, you get to see the problem right at the moment that they made a study where they showed that most F1 fans will never get to see a Formula One race in person. And that's where the problem comes. Like, you have people making studies that you're not, that fans are not going to be able to go and also, the only experience that you are offering is me sitting on the on the grandstand and, and watching a corner when I can go home and watch it and I can do it like for free right now. So yeah. it's just whatever they're doing to grow it and make it better, like they are not doing it well. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, now that they're wanting to tap more in the U.S. market, it's like, I get what you're trying to do. You want to make it a lot more international, right? You want to make it more global because obviously most of the tracks are, you know, that tend to get more coverage or, you know, in Europe and you don't have as much coverage in the U.S. And so I get it. You want more F1 fans here, but you're not doing it right. The thing is, you, you're also coming into an area where you have more people that are into IndyCar and NASCAR. You're trying to compete with fans of those two motorsports that have been around forever in the U.S. F1 hasn't really been around here. Like, you know, I mean, there's they've been here quite some time. But at the same time, it's it still doesn't surpass NASCAR and IndyCar because NASCAR has been here since the 20s and 30s. Right. So, like, you know, I mean, we're talking about a long time since, like, pretty much Depression era. So you have to understand that you're trying to compete with a racing organization that's been here forever since you know world war times right you know so and then obviously it's like that for f1 over there but it's kind of the same thing like you're trying to come Mm -hmm. into a demographic that nascar has been here forever indycar has been here almost this pretty much the same amount of time it's a little you know it's only a few years difference not not by much um and you're trying to compete with people that have been fans for forever, right? And you're not doing a good job with it at all because you're making it to where people here can't afford to even go to your races. And also they don't race, they don't race very much because we don't have we don't have a ton of road courses that are, you know, that are F1, you know, regulated. 
here. You just don't have it. You have Coda. You have, um, obviously, you have, well, Miami, Vegas. In Vegas, I think, is mainly in that more like um, street race. I no, believe. yeah, that's yeah. The- that's yeah i think half of it it's like on the street yeah half of it's like on the street yeah so it's not even a full like regular track um and then uh and then i mean that's really all you have here um so it's like you're competing with you know fans that are used to asphalt oval right because that's mainly what we have here that dirt because you have a lot of dirt tracks here. So you're trying to compete with people where you don't have a ton of road courses. I mean, you do have some, you know, you have Sonoma, you have Laguna Seca, you have, you know, there's some, but they're not F1 regulated. So it's like, you know, F1 might not go there, you know, but um, I know some of the smaller series do. Um, Like for example, here where I live in Louisiana, we NOLA Motorsports, um, F4 went there, um, because, you know, it's a, it, but it's a way smaller track. It's not meant for an, like an F1 car, you know, like there's no way, like with the horsepower and everything, there's no way that they could go around there. So like the smaller series, you know, like F4, they did that there. Um, but yeah, it's like for F1, you don't really have a lot of tracks that they would even be able to go to. Um, here because we just don't have them because it's not a big, that wasn't a big thing, you know, it's not, and it's not like anybody's building any tracks around here. Like, I mean, you got a new track that just got built in Hungary, right. You know, that that's now, um, you know, regulated for F1 and everything, but you don't have tracks that go up here in the U S like that. We have more that shut down than actually open. Uh, so yeah, so like we have, uh, a, a lot of tracks that actually close because, you know, it's just with funding and stuff, you know, a lot of people just can't, can't afford to do it. Um, we have a lot of tracks that close more than open here. So, you know, they're kind of coming into a weird demographic and, you know, it's mainly going to be people that really, um, that are that are that live in more like upscale places that could afford to do it but other than you know go to these f1 races but besides that you're not going to have very many people that can afford to do it here so yeah i know and it's really a shame because formula one it's a great sport like mm-hmm. i've been watching for over a decade it's it's a great sport but they are not making accessible for everyone and them going into um the u.s like that demographic like i don't think they should be doing it because i mean they got there's india and in this in this really a big series yeah um at least in the u.s Mm -hmm. maybe not as known in in europe but right you know that like um indy has like the indy 500 it's one of the most important races of in the world exactly so they're they're already catering to something big like why would you bring formula one into the u.s like i get that you want to get into that demographic Mm -hmm. but the way you're doing it just seems like you 
are having a money grab and like you're not doing anything else like you're not helping that u.s community yeah that you're trying to build there no yeah no and you're absolutely right um that and that's something that i'm not seeing from f1 and i mean correct me if i'm wrong i don't i i know i mean i watch a little bit of f1 but i'm not really like in it but at least here like nascar and indycar they do a lot to give back to the communities like they're involved in like you know boys and girls club of america and you know all these other things they do a lot of charity work i don't see that with f1 here um, no, they they don't. They don't. They okay. really don't. Um, I mean, at least I haven't seen. I know the drivers. Like just today, mm-hmm. they did a soccer match um, for charity. But I think that's more something that drivers on their own on their, on their own, own sign yeah. up for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the same with in Europe and those floods. Like they had to race there, and some of the drivers did charity, right? Um, online Twitch events to raise money for it. But it, those things that they do, it's more drivers signing right. up for it, or it's then not, doing the event them. on their own. Yeah, it's right. not Formula One putting up something. Right. Okay. And yeah. And see that, and that's where I think there's a disconnect too, because like NASCAR, they they actually do this on their own like not even like yeah they get the drivers involved but they actually create these you know this charity work they have their own charity foundation where you know they donate money to certain you know certain things um so they do that on their own indy does the same thing they actually give money back to the communities that you know that that they're a part of and I think that that's how F1's going about it all wrong. Because when you come here, obviously this is not your normal demographic. You're also not helping the community that you're trying to come into. Um, and I think, and for, and it, and it could be a culture thing too, because you know, sometimes whenever you come from another country, you don't really know what the culture is like here, but for somebody that's grown up here all their life, that is one thing about motorsports here that we care about is community is giving back to the local, to the grassroots part. That's why NASCAR is so big. That's why they have like all the smaller series and they, you know, they, they give money to, you know, a lot of these local tracks. There's a lot of smaller tracks that are NASCAR sanctioned. Right. And stuff. And it's because they, I mean, NASCAR didn't fully forget where they came from, right? Because that's what that's how NASCAR became to be is these small local tracks because it all started in North Carolina, you know, and all these small local tracks in that area and then it grew to what it became now. But I think because in F1 doesn't have a base here because they're not it's not from here, it didn't originate here. I think that they're going to have a hard time with that because they have no, they're, they're out of touch because they don't really know what the motorsport community is like here. You know, we're very local oriented. We're very small oriented when it comes to like, we don't forget where we came from and we cater to the smaller, you know, the smaller, you know, tracks and things like that. 
and they, you know, they're constantly donating money to them. They, they do all these things. Um, and I think that if F1 doesn't try to have that here where they, you know, they go out in the communities, they do things, I think they're going to have a very hard time because that is something that, you know, people here in the racing community actually care about. Um, yeah. No, yeah. Um, Formula One kind of relies on whatever charitable work drivers are doing. Mm. Um, but it's to me, it's weird because I do come from a European background and I grew up on that culture, even though I'm born and raised in a South American country, mm -hmm. my family's European. Got so it. we grew up on that culture and that sense of community, like that's very strong mm -hmm. for us. So to me, it's strange that Formula One is not, um, does not have a sense of community mm -hmm. that Europe in general, like the European culture, and we've seen it a lot on drivers, like it's so strong. Like mm -hmm. if someone in Europe needs help, like they're going to be there. And we saw that with those floods in Italy. Right, right. A lot yeah. of the drivers were either doing Twitch events to raise money for for the area, or I saw a driver that he was helping um, pick up and, and clean right. on yeah. the aftermath. And that's the kind of sense of community that we have in Formula mm -hmm. One kind of forgot that sense of community and left it behind us. I've never seen them do any kind of charity work ever. And see, to me, that doesn't make sense because that's the whole point of motorsports is for you to be a community and come together for things. And it's like, if you're not even going to do that with your own, like with your own fan base, you know, that you currently have right now, then why are you going to try and come into a whole nother demographic where you know that that is the norm here, right? Because, I mean, obviously, they would have had to do the research. They would have had to know. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're obviously, they would be competing with NASCAR and IndyCar, more IndyCar because, obviously, you know, that's, you know, that's road course racing and, and stuff like that. So, obviously, IndyCar. And as much as Indy has done for the, the American people, period, like with charity work and things like that, you would think that they would know that and know that they're going to have to come in kind of almost in the same way. Like they're going to have to have a plan in place to to be able to give back because that's just how it is, you know, like and that also means they would have to make their drivers more accessible, too, because guess what? then they're going to have the same problems. People are not really going to come to these races because guess what? NASCAR, they're accessible. IndyCar, they're accessible. You can actually, you know, talk to the drivers. You can get autographs from drivers, all of that. They would have to make all their drivers accessible because all of the series here do it. So I think they're coming in it the wrong way. And that I feel that's going to actually hurt them more than help them um, because it, it's, it's just not it's just not going to go the way that they think it is. No. Yeah, that they they are absolutely out of touch with reality, with community, with even the drivers themselves. 
because drivers have voiced their opinions on what Formula One is doing right now with their format, with street circuits, and they are not liking it. And mm -hmm. that's more of a problem. Like you have a problem with fans and you're also starting a problem with your drivers. That is bound at some point to explode. All right. And that's going to become like a, such a more bigger problem than it already is. Mm -hmm. And it, really catering to community, which I honestly love what IndyCar is doing. Like they are such a big series. They have one of the biggest races in the world mm -hmm. and they still make it accessible for fans to be yeah. there and meet the drivers at, even if it's more of a cost over what they already pay for tickets, but it's mm -hmm. not thousands of dollars away to pay, you know? No. Um, and that was the thing. I actually saw somebody post something on Twitter uh, yesterday. They had compared like how much it would cost for you to go to like every single IndyCar race. It would literally cost you less than going to one F1 race for the whole season. Like that's how, that's how inexpensive IndyCar is like for a general admission ticket, you could go general admission for every single IndyCar race for the whole season. It would cost you less than you would spend at an, at an F1 race, one F1 race. And, and you get such a complete experience. Yeah. And also, I mean, right there, that tells you something like that's a major red flag that you can go to every single IndyCar race on general admission. Mm -hmm and pay less than you would pay at one F1 race. And that makes no sense at all. Um, you know, because right there, that also is going to make it harder for F1 because IndyCar is inexp very inexpensive compared to F1. NASCAR is very inexpensive compared to F1. And all the road course series that we have, all of those, same thing. And I don't think that F1 can compete because it's not going to be, it's going to be the same thing here where a lot of people can't afford to go. Um, so they're really going to have to make it all a red carpet appearance because that's the only people that are going to be able to afford to, to go to these races. So it's going to put them in the same situation that they're in right now. Um, and so I feel yeah. like they're not, it's not helping them. Um, at all trying to come here if they're not going to change how they're doing things. Um, it, they're just going to end up right back in the same situation that they're in right now. No, yeah, and they've, they've tried. <laughs> Very unquote. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because they, they, they think they're doing it right, but then when they see opinions and what, I don't know if they see it, they should. Because mm -hmm. for a fact, people make the comments all oh, over yeah. social media. And like they know what the fans want and what the drivers want. And mm -hmm. they're not they're not listening to it at all. No. And it, it's just gonna come to a point where Formula One is either gonna fall over and not like stop existing, but they're gonna have to go back to what they were. Right. Or they just put up a sign, like a literal sign saying, we only cater to rich people. Right. I mean, literally, they might as well say that. Like, they yeah. might as well do that because 
they're not they're not catering to everybody i mean they might as well go ahead and and just come straight out if you don't have at least 10 grand to drop you can't come to our races like they might as well just put that out there on a billboard because it's like you're not i mean you can't make it seem like you're for everybody because you're not like you're not even trying to cater to people of a certain income level anymore so you might as well just say that be like f1 for rich people only like poor people over there like go go to go, <laughs> go to watch nascar, NASCAR. <laughs> go to indycar go to all that we don't want you here like that's literally what they're pretty much doing without coming out and saying it and and that's sad because let's be real f1 when it first started it wasn't about that yeah it wasn't about because back then i mean it was just about racing mm -hmm. it, it, it wasn't about what your income level was like that I, that's why it seems so crazy to me that that's all they care about because you wonder why nascar beat you in ratings by a lot like when they were trying to cater you know here for the miami grand prix f1 i mean nascar blew them out of the water when it came to the tv ratings because well one thing obviously everybody said that that race was horrible but no yeah it was <laughs> but um but even so it's like you're not catering to to the right demographic like and you're not even trying to because the demographic that you've got here in the u.s there's not that many rich people here there's not no. i mean if you look overall there really isn't so you're gonna have to cater to middle class people the middle class is the biggest social social class here mm -hmm. so if you're not catering to us you know because i would be considered middle class if you're not catering to us you have no fan base and i can tell you right now middle class people can't afford f1 prices mm -mm. they cannot no, and, no, absolutely and i think that's where they're going wrong because guess what middle class people can afford to go to an indycar race middle class people can afford to go to a nascar race they can't afford to go to an f1 race and middle class is the biggest class in the u.s there's way more way more of us than there are rich people so if you can't cater to us then you have you have no audience here you know and i think that's where i think that's where they're going about it the wrong way because they're obviously just catering to rich people and to be honest the only rich people you've got here are mainly celebrities that's mm -hmm. it you don't have a lot of rich people here now you do have some people that are old money right you yeah. know but that's still very small that's the that's like considered a one percent of the country here that's it they're very few and far between so you're only catering to about one to two percent of the u.s population you're not catering to very many people and that's not enough people to sustain that you know the you know f1 here it, it's not um unless you've got a lot of people traveling from outside of the country to come mm -hmm. see you but that would be it and let's be real i mean you're not going to have a ton of people flying into the u.s to come see these races when they can go to monaco and all these really expensive high-end places in europe and asia 
to go see an F1 race. You know, they're not going to trade Monaco for Austin, Texas. I mean, I hate to say it, you know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, let's just be real. I mean, they're not going to trade, you know, maybe, maybe Miami, maybe Vegas, but even so, like, that's still, you know, that's still debatable, but I'm, I'll be honest. If you have a lot of money to spend, you're probably going to Monaco over, Mm -hmm. over somewhere in the U S um, and so that's, that's why I think they're not like, they did not think this through at all. Um, and no. yeah, you have to cater and, to the middle class here or you're mm-hmm. not going to be sustainable. Like, and that I think, um, and NASCAR is even seeing it firsthand, um, that certain areas of the country, it's not working, you know, um, you know, they just sold off a bunch of land in California by auto club, you know, auto club speedway because it, they're just, the, the demographic just doesn't work. Right. Um, it's just, it's just not feasible and it happens, you know, um, there's just certain areas of the country that NASCAR doesn't, it doesn't really work. Like the, you know, there's just not enough of a fan base. Um, and F1 is going to end up running into that issue here mm-hmm. because there's just not enough F1 fans here. Um, to, you know, for them to be sustainable unless they, unless they change their whole entire attitude about it. So. No, and they, they're also implementing or all these street circuits, mm-hmm. which just makes the tickets so much more expensive because they are street circuits. And like a third of the Formula One calendar is street circuits, which to me, it's just insane because those are the races we don't want to watch. We've seen so far Azerbaijan, Saudi Arabia, Australia. We have Miami now. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to be seeing Vegas as well. Those are all five races that we've seen so mm-hmm. far are street circuits. Yeah, None of them were good races except for Australia. That was chaotic. <laughs> All the other ones, they weren't good at all. And so they are really not thinking about the tracks that they're putting out there. Like they took out um, the French GP mm-hmm. just to put in Miami and Vegas. Doesn't make sense. Yeah, There's no. more historic tracks that they could be doing. Like I've seen drivers that want to go to South Africa. Mm-hmm. That's a great track. That's a great race historic race why are we putting miami and las vegas over a historic race yeah um and see i think i think that's where they're they're not they're not worried about they're not worried about what the fans want they're not worried about what the drivers want because guess what in their mind oh south africa is not going to give them the money that they want you see what i'm saying that's what it is it's all about the money because guess what miami once again, red carpet affair. You've got so many celebrities that, that live out that way. You got, uh, there's just a ton of money there. Same thing in Vegas, ton of money, you know? You, I mean, well, that's what Vegas is. I mean, it's literally casinos and everything that you can imagine that is money, right? So that's all they're worried about. That, that shows you that that's all they care about because of where they're picking to go. It's like, 
that's all about money. Yeah, they could go to South Africa, but in their mind, mm, that's not enough money for us. They're just worried about money. And see, that's the issue. It's all about greed. And they're not, that. that's all, that's what's driving them is greed. It's like, oh, well, we're going to tap into the U.S. market next because that's more money for us. But they don't realize that they're actually going to lose money by coming here if they don't change what they're doing. But that's why they're only going to the places that have the most money. Miami, major, you know, major area with a lot of money. Vegas, a lot of money. Austin, I can see why they go there because, let's be real, in Texas, oil, right? At the big, mm-hmm. like, yeah. people that have money are going to be in that vicinity is the Austin area. Um, and so that's why they're going to a lot of these types of places is because it's about money. Um, they're not, that's all this is about. Um, and obviously just code a period. That's really going to be the closest place for anybody that has money within the Southern region of the United States to go to, because even people here in Louisiana that have money, Coda, Austin's about mm, eight, nine hours mm-hmm. from here. So people here will go there because it's going to be the closest, you know, if, you know, they can actually just drive yeah. there if they want to, they don't have to fly there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So yeah, people within the Southern United States, it's either going to be Coda or Miami, depending on where in the area they live. Um, and yeah, so that's really what that is. It's like, they're going to cater to just rich people. That's it. You know? And I, and it's like, they might as well just come out and say that, but they don't want to, they want to make it seem like they're going to be relevant, Mm -hmm. but they're not. Um, they don't just don't want to come out and say that outright because they, they still want, they still want us middle-class people to still watch it. So they're not Mm going to come out and say, oh, we only cater to rich people. Cause guess what? Then they're going to be, then they're going to lose their TV base, right? Because Mm -hmm. only the rich people can afford to go to it, but all the people that can't afford to go to it are watching it on TV. So that that's pretty much what it is. That's why they're not going to come out and say it because they're going to lose their TV deals, right? Because they're not going (laughs) to have enough people watching. They're not going to have enough ratings for people to watch. So that's why they're not, that's why they're not going to come out and say it. No, yeah, absolutely. Um, I just, well, they've, they've come out with a lot of things over the years Mm -hmm. that are, questionable <laughs> one the street circuits don't make sense uh, they've come up with regulations on, on cars and mm. cost caps and all these things that are mm, trying quote unquote better mm-hmm. the sport but uh, we're only seeing getting it worse and yeah. so so yeah um at some point, they're going to have to go back to where they started because when they started, all those races were basically for free. Mm-hmm. Like, they, no one was watching. It was right. all the way over in Europe. Mm-hmm. It's not like they had TV deals. Like, no, this old school in the 20s. Right. right. And people were going for 
free mm-hmm. and just being there and watching the races. But but yet, yeah, how far Formula One has come, um, that's not shown. And the only race I would say that does show what Formula One truly is mm-hmm. and what it truly caters to is Monaco. Yeah, you're absolutely yeah. right. <laughs> Yeah, you got people on yachts watching a race, you know, like right there shows you, you know, that I mean, and it's like, you know, I don't like to say it like that, but it's privilege, you Mm -hmm. know, it's all financial privilege. That's it. Like, if you are privileged enough to be able to afford to go to Monaco and just drop money to go to Monaco, like it's nothing because it's one of the most richest places in the world. You know, it's not cheap to go there, you know that's not something that just anybody can go do, you know, Oh, we're just going to go take a trip to Monaco. No, that's not something that people just drop and go do. Right. That's something that you're going to spend thousands and thousands of dollars to do. And a normal person can't do that. Like you'll easily spend 10, $10,000 minimum going to Monaco. Like it wouldn't be, it's not hard for you to drop that much money to go there. And then that's not even for a race. That's just you going, you know? I mean, because everything's so expensive there, like just to fly there. um, And then hotels there, all that stuff is thousands of dollars a night, just stay. And then you're not even throwing in the race. And it's like, you know, everything there is high end. I mean, that's what it is. I mean, and it's not for people of certain income levels. It never was. And so, yeah, I mean, you can't expect people to, you know, be able to completely understand, you know, like that, that income level, like that's just, that's, I mean, that's an income level that a lot of people will never see in their lifetime. Yeah, absolutely. And like, don't get me wrong. Like, I, I love the Monaco race. Yeah, it's one too. of my favorite races, one of my favorite tracks. And it has such a historic value. But right. that historic value, like, that's why it's it's got a value at all. Right. It's catered to the rich people. And mm-hmm. that's its historic value more than the race. It's what they are catering to. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, Monaco has has its historical history, but it it was Monaco was always for rich people. I mean, let's just be real. It never was for regular people to live there or to eat or just to even go there as a tourist. I mean, it never was. It was always catered to rich people. Um, and I think that's why like people don't really like I don't know. Like, it just seems like F1 doesn't really understand that. Like, they're just kind of like, we're just catering to where the money is. I mean, that's literally what they're doing. Um, and I, I feel like they, they've got to do something. Like, you can't do this forever. Like, yeah, you've been doing it for a long time. But eventually, you're going to start losing more and more people. And you're losing people already, obviously. You are. 
But you're going to start losing more and more people in droves if you don't start changing the mindset that you have towards the motorsport community. Because these people, like all of the motorsport community, will either make you or break you. And they will break you eventually because they're going to get fed up because they're not going to be able to ever go to F1 race, you know, because the money's just not there for a regular person to go. And eventually they're going to drop watching you too, because they're going to be like, you only care about us for the TV ratings. That's it. Like people are going to start to figure that out. And Mm -hmm. then it's going to be too late for F1 and they're going to start losing people, a lot of people, because, you know, now you'll have some of these people that will stay because they're, they're big into F1, you know, and they've been in it for forever. You'll have some of those people that will stay, but a lot of people, especially like people that are a little bit newer to, to the sport, you will eventually lose them. And the whole point to, you know, when it comes to motorsports is you want to keep building a, ba- a base because you want this to be multi-generational, but you're going to, you're going to get to the point where it's going to stop. It's going to stop with one of those generations. And then generations after that are not going to care either. And I yeah, think and they're going to get to that point if they don't start changing their whole mindset on, on all of this. <laughs> I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it doesn't make sense. And honestly, they need to take pointers from Indy and NASCAR when it comes to coming over here, because other than that, they're just, they're not going to, they're not going to do what they want to do. They're just going to, you know, like I said, just cater to the celebrities here. Cause that's still going to be the only people that can afford to go there. Yeah, no, and we we also have a an issue going into being working in Formula One, like mm-hmm. this whole privileged thing they have going on. Like they are also moving that towards the people they are hiring. Mm-hmm. Like they hire the big names at the moment, and they and the people that are new coming in. Um, they're not getting quite the same recognition that other big names that they're hiring and they're keeping all those other people like on the back end um, of the sport, which is just, it's even sadder than everything else that's going on because you have a lot of people working in formula one and you're not giving them the recognition and they are running your sport. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and the thing is the fact that they're more worried about your name recognition than what your experience is and what you can actually do for the sport that right there, that shows you that they're not, they're not worried about actually doing anything to really build their sport up. They're just trying to like sustain this for as long as they, you know, pretty much like they're just like milking, milking this until, Mm -hmm. until it dries out. Like, that's literally what they're trying to do. They're not really trying to put any effort into it. Um, And that makes no sense. Like, you know, I mean, you look at NASCAR, like NASCAR now is like partnering with like Chuck E. Cheese, you know, that that's obviously catered to children. And they're doing like 
they they're like they came up with like a like there's an app like with games and stuff and they're doing like all different kind of things like to cater to children because obviously you've got to start young right exposing mm-hmm. them to motorsport if you want them to be able to grow up within the community and you don't see f1 doing stuff like that like you know i'm saying yeah you might see drivers go out and do things you know on their own but it's the fact that f1 is not doing that right like you have hendrick motorsports that's doing that with chuck e cheese and like they're gonna put stuff on the car and they're gonna you know and they're doing like they're actually physically going to events like they're going to different you know, different uh, locations and doing stuff with the kids and they're going to have a car out there and doing all different kind of stuff. And it's like, and like through the game, like if you get like so many points, like you get to like, you get to have like your birthday party with like one of the drivers there, like as a guest, like that's like amazing, right? Like, I mean, any kid would love that. And then something about like, then you get like this VIP package. Like if you get so many points, to go to one of the races, I think at Charlotte Motorsport Motor Speedway, I think, and you get to like it's like a package where you get to go there, um, like you and your family or whatever, and for free. And it's like they're doing all different kind of stuff like that, and it's like that's stuff that F one should be doing. Period. I mean, it doesn't matter where they're trying to cater, but mm-hmm. they should be doing stuff like that. Like trying to get more kids yeah. involved, but they're not they're, doing that. Yeah, no, they're they're getting people engaged in in motorsport, mm-hmm. whether it's NASCAR or Indy. Like they're getting people engaged, and they're getting these kids interested, whether it's in being a fan or uh, liking a team or mm-hmm. getting these kids into racing. Right. Like they're building most likely the next generation of NASCAR drivers. Yeah, that's exactly what they're doing. Because what, when you get kids involved in motorsports from a very young age, most of them want to become drivers. And I mean, and I'm living proof because I mean, my daughter, my youngest daughter wants to be a, a driver. She's 15 now. She literally, I almost gave birth to her at a racetrack. <laughs> so like, I mean, yeah, that's the story for all another day. But yeah, like, so she's been in it from the very beginning. I mean, you know, since the womb, like she could even hear, you know, race cars from the very beginning. Cause my husband, my husband has raced, you know, since he was a kid. And so when we got together, you know, I mean, I went straight into the racing community and I had never been a part of it because my, my family didn't come from, you know, a racing background um, I never watched racing at all. Like I knew what NASCAR was, but like, I never watched it because my, my family never did. So I was never immersed in it. And my husband was, I mean, my husband's dad was a race car driver his, his whole life. He ran, you know, with ASCS and the world of outlaws back in like, you know, the eighties and nineties. So, you know, my husband had been in it since he was a kid, since he was little, you know, so I knew my husband was going to eventually raise, you know, I mean, when we, and when I met him, you know, he was like, yeah, I'm actually going to get back into racing. Are you, you know, you've got to be okay with that, you know, cause obviously that's something that he loved to do since he was a kid and I didn't have a problem with it. I just didn't know about it, but 
then my kids grew up in it. Like my oldest daughter grew up in it and she didn't want to be a racer, which makes that's fine. But my youngest, she loves it. That's all she wants to do. She wants to go to a racetrack every weekend. That's all she wants to do. And it's like, when you, when you raise these kids around this, it becomes a part of their lives. And it's like, and then they, most of them love it. Um, and yeah, like you just have to understand that. Like when they're, like it becomes a part of their lifestyle. And if you're not catering to that, yeah, sure. Their parents might be a part of racing. And, you know, obviously that automatically becomes a part of theirs, you know, about a part of their lives. Mm -hmm. But with F1, they're not really trying to cater to children. NASCAR does. I mean, you can go into a toy store right now and go buy a small die cast with a driver's name on it, you know, like, they're all over the place. Um, you can't go in a toy store or anything like that and go buy an F1 car, you know? Like, there's a lot of things that they don't cater to children for, and it's like, they could easily do that. NASCAR's always catered to children. Yeah. I mean, even at the racetracks, like, even at the, like, they have plushies, you know, like stuffed animals with, like, the driver's names on them and everything, like unicorns and bears and everything you can think of um they even have baby clothes like you know onesies with like the driver's names on them and everything like i mean they start them from so young and it's like f1 could take pointers on that mm -hmm. you know like start them young i mean they you've got babies dressed up in in drivers you know um gear like that merchandise all the time you know i mean infants and it's like they could be doing stuff like that but you know that's not something that they cater no, no. you know like the only thing i've seen them cater to semi-children because mm -hmm. it's not exactly something that children can actually build is a lego car formula one car and like not everyone has the capacity of those are tiny little pieces right that's exactly. not catered for kids no not at all and but yeah and, they're trying to they, yeah they're trying to make it for kids but it's not those are tiny little pieces that kids could mm -hmm. get hurt with right and i mean that's not it and if like you're saying like nascar has all these things like blushies baby uh clothes and stuff like if you want those things you know formula one theme like you have to get them custom made mm -hmm. yeah and that and, and that gets expensive I mean. you know because i mean you got to get somebody to make that and, and and that's crazy like you shouldn't have to that should be something that f1 should provide like they you know obviously mm -hmm. you know that should be something that they should be selling merchandise wise and i've noticed that too like there's a lot of um there's a lot of like smaller um like shops and stuff where people are making a lot of f1 stuff and i noticed that like and and it's because if they don't make it there's it's not available um and yeah like i find that that's just crazy i mean we have we have people that make their own stuff too you know like on the nascar mm -hmm. side and stuff like that and it's more custom type things but there's so much that you can just buy off a of nascar's website like you know or you can buy at the you know at the tracks you know i mean they have 
I mean, every driver literally has their own merchandise trailer. Like they all have merchandise trailers all over the place. And some of them, it's like the team, like they have the team, like, so they'll have like so many, you know, they'll have like the whole team in there. So it's like, you know, you, if you have like three or four drivers on one team, you go there and you can get their stuff only. And then you also have NASCAR that has their own, um, has their own trailer with just NASCAR stuff. So it's like their logo on it and like other things on it. Um, and then you also have like other, like other vendors out there too. But yeah, like every single driver has merchandise, every single one of them. No, yeah. In formula one, what you see is like, I think there's a store somewhere that mm -hmm. really don't know where, but it's like this store where you go and you see team merchandise, but it's just like this blank shirt with a logo on it. That's $70. Wow. Absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. And no, and see, and that's like, the thing. For those prices, yeah. not worth it. No. And then, if, especially if it's just like one design, because that's one thing about NASCAR drivers, they all have like multiple designs to choose from. Like each driver sometimes will have like five or six different designs that you can choose from. Like it's not just like one design only and that's all you've got. Um, no, they all have like multiple different designs that you can choose from. And, and it's like, so, it, you know, there's a variety of type, you know, of like clothing that you can buy, um, whether, and then it's not just the t-shirts, you know, they have hoodies, they've got all different kinds of stuff and, you know, sweatshirts, things like that. Um, they got hats, they got everything, you know, like there's just so much stuff. Um, and, and the, like, F1 should do that, but like, but that's yeah. what I'm, but they, they're not catering to the fans. Like fans want merchandise. And exactly. And if you want to get merchandise from like a specific driver, like most of them, at least the ones I know of, mm -hmm. um, they have their own brands, mm -hmm. but like they don't work with F1 on those mm. um, personal merchandise like it's on their own on the side their own brand kind of thing okay. um yeah and formula one just have like the team t-shirts that you see drivers wearing around um on race days when race weekends like mm -hmm. the shirts they wear those are the shirts they sell and it's just like that plain red ferrari shirt with right. the logo on it and those kind of things and it's just not um as varied in design it's just the, the regular plane with a logo on it and if you want to get something more um you will have to look up if the driver has their, their own, own brand, brand. Mm -hmm. and see uh, the, you mainly have like the own like the own brand thing when you hear when you get into like smaller organizations smaller racing organizations because, you know, they just don't have, you know, NASCAR is NASCAR and IndyCar have like that stuff. But when you get into the smaller organizations, they don't really have like their own merchandise. So every driver has like their own stuff on their own websites, which makes sense because they just don't have that type of funding where they, you know, they make all this merchandise on their own. So that's pretty much how it is. Or they might have like, 
Um, like for example, on the dirt side here, like the world of outlaws, they have like their own trailer when you go to like their, their, you know, their races. So they do have their own where they don't have a ton, like they have a few different designs, you know, like of when it comes to like t-shirts and stuff, but they don't have a lot of merchandise. And then the drivers all have like their own stuff. They all have like their own trailers and, and stuff like that. But it, it's on a smaller scale. It's literally most of them. It's their wives that some of them printed this stuff themselves. You know, like they bought a, a shirt press, you know, off of Amazon, and they and they made it themselves. Like they're and they're doing it on their own. Um, you know, it's not on a massive scale. And then you also have it like on the local level. A lot of drivers will have like their own t-shirts, but they're all making them like themselves or they might have them printed by somebody, but you know, it's still on a smaller scale, but you know, even, even on the smaller, like local levels, people cater to that. Like they make their own merchandise and they sell it and, and stuff like, I find that crazy because it's like with F1, they have the funds to do it. Mm-hmm. Like most of these no, people. Yeah. Are and I know, I know for a fact that they did used to make um, mm-hmm. better stuff because I do have, used to have, it's <laughs> sad because I lost it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a very expensive vintage jacket I used to have mm-hmm. and it was um a McLaren it had all the logos and badges that they had back in the day from sponsors and it was mm-hmm. white and that vintage kind of jacket and it was it, that was a formula one official design mm-hmm. like, it was a, a very unique one because there weren't a lot of them and I happened to find one here in my country, which is very rare. But mm-hmm. at that time, we did have a Formula One driver oh, okay. um, for running for our country. So we, some sports stores bought things in Europe and brought them here to mm-hmm. resell. And that jacket was one of them. And, and it was the only one in the store. And I got, but it was a, it, it was a very expensive jacket. That yeah. was over $150 jacket. Wow. But it was, it was unique. It was a new, unique design, and it had all the logos and badges. It was vintage. Like they, it actually had a worthwhile design that was worth the money that I was paying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, and... but now with the, those simpler designs, and you're still having the same kind of prices. Mm-hmm. It's not making sense. Yeah. No, that makes no sense at all. That they're not offering very much merchandise for, um, you know, for fans, because especially like the fans that want to buy that merchandise and, you know, they're not able to go to a race or whatever, you know, and they might want to purchase something online and then they might want something from, you know, from their actual favorite driver and it's not available. Like that, I find that really odd that they would do that. Um, you know, because that's what, people that's what people want people want to be able to buy stuff from their favorite driver you know be able to you know i mean people do it here all the time you know i mean i even have like like when we go to talladega we like we actually put money back just to be able to buy merchandise like we literally create a budget just for merchandise when we go because it's like I know I'm going to want a t-shirt or I'm going to want a hat or I'm going to want something. Right. And 
we always do that. And it's like, it's crazy that with F1, you don't have that. You would think that they would cater to that, especially mm-hmm. since they have people that have the money to spend, you know, because obviously the ticket prices are outrageous. So those people have money. You would think that they would make merchandise available, but I don't know. Like to me, that's, but may, and I don't know, maybe that, maybe people with that income level, like maybe that's not something they cater to. Like maybe they don't really want merchandise. You know what I'm saying? Like maybe it's just a different demographic thing. Um, but I don't know. Like to me, I would feel like you would want something. Like even the tracks mm-hmm. have their own, like in NASCAR at least, the tracks have their own merchandise. Like you can buy a shirt that's made by Talladega Super Speedway you know, it'll, and it'll even have like the date, like of, you know, what, whatever race it was. Um, and sometimes it's just like their logo, but yeah, even the tracks have their own merchandise. Like, I just find that, I find that so weird with F1. It's like, you know, not cause yeah, I mean, with NASCAR, I mean, even in Indy, like each, each, um, track has their own, you know, they have their own merchandise. So. No, yeah, that's that's insane. Because Formula One selling the uniforms that they're wearing. Mm-hmm. Like, no. Stop. Please don't. Yeah. Yeah, they like, they used, um, they used, like, fire suits and stuff. Yeah, so like some NASCAR drivers do that too. Like, like though, there's people that like sell that stuff, like on eBay and things like that. Mm-hmm. And 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 stuff. Like my husband actually buys them sometimes because he uses them because they're the like the fire rating on them are way higher than like what you would get like on with for regular fire suits. Um, and you know, on dirt or whatever, like those cars, you know, they run hotter. So it's like, you know, it's, he does it to be safe, you know, and there it's actually cheaper for him to buy a used NASCAR racing suit. than it is to go and buy a brand new fire suit and it lasts longer. And that's crazy. Cause you think it'd be the opposite because it's older, mm. but it actually lasts longer than him buying a like a brand new fire suit from somebody else, so yeah, because yeah. that's that's really interesting. Formula One doesn't sell the race suits; the uniforms they sell is what drivers wear off track. Mm, off track. Yeah. So when they're doing interviews, like you, you see the team shirt or mm-hmm. the cap, um, sweaters raincoats that kind of Mm. thing that kind of the uniforms they have off track or the engineering team has like those Mm. kind of things Mm -hmm. um but it's very simple and it's not worth the money yeah yeah it's just what they wear which obviously Mm -hmm. i mean if you've watched a, a formula one race and you know they show the paddocks and stuff you, you can see what they wear and it's very bland. Like there's no, Mm -hmm. you know, there's nothing to them. Um, yeah. And to say that they charge people so much for that, that 
that doesn't make sense to me. It's like, it's not, it's nothing different. Like it's not, it's not something that screams, okay, like I'm a fan and this is like what I've got, you know, like it's not something original, like that, you know, maybe they only sold so many of, right? Yeah. Like NASCAR does that all the time. Like where they'll do, you know, do, do things like even like with the die cast cars, they'll sell like only so many of them, like a certain, a certain paint scheme. And they're only going to have this many of them and you have to pre-order it, but it's not going to get here until like a year from now. Right. But you'll be one of the only ones to have it. My husband does it all the time. Like he buys these die casts that are like so rare because it's like, oh, we're only making 75 of these. Or something like that but you're not gonna get it till like 2024 but you know you can pre-order it for like 200 dollars, and yeah and they're rare i mean my like literally around my whole entire office like we have die casts all over the wall <laughs> like it's all on the wall all over the place and then we also have like a display case in the corner that has die casts like he collects them and yeah like all these die casts, some of them are really old. Some of them are old. Like we even have like, we even have some that are from like the nineties because you know, the eighties and nineties because they, you know, it was, they made it for like a specific scheme, like from, for a certain car that like only ran like in the eighties or nineties. Yeah. We have some that are like a lot older. It, it's just crazy, you know, NASCAR, it's catered to that for a long time. And you would think that F1, they would do some stuff like that. Yeah, like, no, and then they should, especially, I feel like since I've owned vintage Formula One, like mm -hmm. that is something that they should do more because mm -hmm. those pieces are more unique and there might be like one of them. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know how many people had my jacket. I just knew that right. if you look it up online, like, you're not going to find it. So, mm -hmm. and it had the tag Formula One yeah. on it. So, like, how many people actually have that same jacket? Like, that was a unique vintage jacket. Mm -hmm. Very sad I lost it. Yeah, no. <laughs> Feel that bad for you because it's like, oh, my gosh. Like, <laughs> and then no, it, to be able to find that again, it's like, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. No, I I've looked it up. Like I've sourced the, the picture. I can't find it anywhere. It's wow. just, it's like it doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, and sometimes that yeah. happens because it's so it, it can be like something so rare that people like don't want to get rid of it, you know. And it's like they're mm -hmm. gonna keep it till it falls apart, you know. <laughs> and so yeah, like I man, I wish you still had that. I mean, that's yeah. amazing. But yeah, like, and, and see, it's stuff like that. Like, people collect stuff. Like, that's mm -hmm. like, like what my husband does. Like, you know, they love that stuff because it's like, you know, they get to have something that could be really old, you know? And obviously, I mean, like, drivers pass away or, you know, things like that. And it's like, sometimes, you know, you might have stuff that people can't find anywhere because, like you said, it's rare. It's something that, you know, they only made so many of and, you know, they're never going to make again. And it's like, yeah, to be able to have pieces of like memorabilia like that, you know, it's priceless. It's like, and I guess like to them, it just seems like they 
gotten away from that. Like they don't understand like that. That's what fans want. They want things that give them that memory, right? Like it to them, it's like, it's not just a, it's not just a item, right? It's like, there's a story to it because you know, you might've got that at a specific track and you only went there one time and you never went back again, you know, or something. And yeah, like a lot of us, that's what we do is like, we kind of, you know, buy things to remember something like for a memory. And like, that's what we do. It's like, you know, every time, like I look at a certain car that my husband has or something like that, I know what, I know the story behind it is like, Oh, we got that at Talladega when we went for the first time, you know, or he got that, you know, when we went to a certain place or whatever, like, you know, it's just like, there's something behind all of it. Like there's a story behind all of it. And I think like a lot, I guess they just don't, they don't think like that. Um, Yeah, no, they don't have, I think it's more like, on the other side of the world, I guess, like on this side of the world, like we like remembering things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Especially in the US and, and South America, like we keep so many things to remember events. And I had that jacket like to remember, like I mm-hmm. got it when I was eight. It didn't even fit me when I bought it. Well, my parents bought it for me, mm-hmm. but it didn't fit me. And I could only wear it like two years ago when it finally did fit me right and i had that as a symbol of like this i fell in love with formula one with this jacket mm-hmm. like i didn't know formula one when i got that jacket and it had mclaren all stamped all over it um and so yeah and that became my team and i didn't know like to me that jacket was something like i kind of manifested that formula one dream of coming into my life or or whatever and and yeah like McLaren was the first team I ever fell in love with when I was 12 and unconsciously I was a a fan when I was eight getting that jacket and so yeah it's like those things that we like to remember and I don't know what it's like over in Europe Mm -hmm. um but but yeah like having that European background like we do keep a lot of stuff um to remember like we still have the bags Mm -hmm. um, my family brought from the first world war oh wow we have that that luggage um stored away in the house they used to live in and like we remember that we remember them with that wow that's amazing like um I mean, because, wow, I mean, the fact that you guys still have that, I mean, Mm -hmm. as old as that is, and, like, you still have something like that, you know, to remind you of things. I mean, even though I know, obviously, that would have been a harder time, right? Um, Yes. But, you know, just to kind of remember, like, where your family came from and, Mm -hmm. like, what they went through to be able to, you know, um, you know, persevere, through something like that is, is an amazing thing. Um, and you know, and I totally resonate with that because it's like, like whenever, like my, my grandparents passed away, obviously they lived, you know, during the great depression and all of that and stuff. And it's like things that came from their house. Like I, it's just like so much of a sentimental value. Like I, like I could care less, like if it's falling apart or whatever, it's just like a, 
you know, it's something to remind you of like your ancestors. And that's something like that is really important um, because it's like, you know, our families mean everything to us, right? Like that, that's so important to, to us. And it's like, you know, we, it's like your family to everything to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we always appreciate that. And I think, you know, having things from, you know, like our grandparents and our great grandparents and so on, you know, down the line, having that type of stuff is like, you know, it's like, man, you know, this is what they had. Like, you know, it might not have been much, but to them it was everything. Right. And it's like, I think it, it kind of gives you like gratitude. Like it makes you a lot more grateful about the things that you have and like where you are in your life. Because back then, especially during that time, mm-hmm. like people would die to do certain things. You know what I'm saying? Like people yes. would literally lose their lives to do some of the things that we do today that we consider normal. Um, and it's like, you know, yeah, it makes you appreciate like what you have and like the, you know, the life that you live because they couldn't live the same lifestyles that some of us are living today because. I mean, you know, they could literally end up in jail or lose their lives over some of the mm-hmm. stuff that we do now, you know, and it's sad because they couldn't speak their, you know, they couldn't speak their minds. They couldn't do a lot of the things that we do. Like you and I would not be talking like this. You know what I'm saying? Like, cause women mm-hmm. didn't have a voice back then. Like we couldn't speak up for anything. And it's like the fact that, you know, we're here where we are now. And then also, I mean, women in motorsports, I mean, yeah, they had some, mm-hmm. I mean, back in like the 1700s, but the stuff they went through just to even get into the motor, into motorsports. And obviously they still didn't get the same opportunities, you know, um, is, is like insane. And honestly, you know, the first woman to do it, Camille, I mean, she, she was a socialite. She had the money, you know, but it's like, um, you know, most other women, it, it was hard for them to get into murder sports in any way. And especially like, you know, like us as content creators or women that are, you know, sportscasters or presenters, anything like that in the media that wasn't even heard of, you know, cause women couldn't even be in the paddocks. Women couldn't be in any of that. You know, they couldn't be in the garages, even with NASCAR. You know, there were some women that ran a NASCAR back in like the 50s and 60s, and they couldn't even be in the garages. And they were trying to race. Like, you know, and it's crazy because it's like that just shows how far motorsports has come, you know, as a whole. Yeah. And we've, we've come a long way in motorsport, but we still have a long way to go because yes we're we're in the garages and we're in the cars and the Mm paddocks and whatnot but we're still like unseen Mm -hmm. i'd say um because like yeah we're there but how many people actually see you yeah and how many people actually notice that you Mm -hmm. are there and you're working the sport and you're building a career in the sport like not a lot of people see that yeah. and we still do have to fight for that recognition so much more than men do yeah um, and i agree that we, yeah 
we're yeah. seeing a, a lot of men right now um that have podcasts or are mm -hmm. in the media side of things and they are getting way more opportunities in motorsport than we would ever get yeah yeah no and and that was and that's exactly why like you know that's why we do what we do is because we want mm -hmm. women to get that platform because we know that and i mean they even have studies that have been done you know the fia did a study about it and girls on track did a study on it that women in motorsports get less tv time less funding than their male counterparts i mean it's it's been proven um, and the fact that you had to do a study to even prove that, I mean, you can just mm -hmm. go ask every woman driver that you know of, and they'll tell you exactly the same thing. We're struggling with funding, not able to race like we want to. We're having to do a part-time schedule because we can't run a full-time schedule because we don't have the money to do it. Oh, this is going to be my last race unless I can get the funding, you know, and you hear it all the time. And unfortunately, you hear it more from the women than the men. Sure, there's some men that do have that problem as well, but you don't have as many men saying that as you do women in motorsports. You hear it all the time. And, and it's sad because it shouldn't be that way. You know, the women should get as much funding as the men do. You know, I mean, there, there's, there should be no reason that women have to struggle and scrape for for sponsors um to be able to race and you know or they have to cut their schedule in half because that's all they're going to be able to afford to do and they can't run full time no yeah and I've, I've also seen a lot of female drivers um say like oh i had to get a career in study something in university or mm -hmm. college just so i have a backup for racing in case don't get the sponsors that I need. Yeah. And that's something we don't see men doing. Like we're not seeing them go off to college um, to get a career in something other than racing because they are not able to afford um, their racing career. Like we're not right. seeing that they are getting their sponsors. They are getting the funding that women are not. And the, the fact that we have to get um some other kind of education to have a backup yeah that should not be it no not at all like we shouldn't like women in motorsports shouldn't have to have a plan b at all right mm -hmm. like they shouldn't even have to think about having a plan b like oh well i'm gonna go back to college or just go to college first and then have my racing career because um at least i'll have a degree just in case it doesn't work out like the fact that your passion has to be in a what if, right? Should that should never be. Like it should never be, well, what well, if it doesn't work out, at least I have this. Like you shouldn't even have to think that way. And most mm -hmm. men don't exactly. Yeah, most of the men in motorsports don't think that way. Like they they're pretty much I'm gonna race until I have to physically retired like that's that's their mindset but the women are like having to think well i might need a plan b just in case it doesn't work out because i might not get the sponsors and i you know i might not be able to run a full-time schedule because of that and like we sh 
they shouldn't have to even think twice about it. Um, and unfortunately, that that's the norm and it shouldn't be no yeah and and uh, uh like i completely get it like in my situation i am an architecture student mm -hmm. and i do love my career and i started studying that because i do love it but mm -hmm. this motorsport journalism this is my plan b like this is it has never been my plan a mm -hmm. and i don't think it ever ever will because i don't want to have to say oh well, yeah this is my plan a but at least I have my degree. Right. Like, I don't want to have to say that. Mm -hmm. I want to have the ability to say I have a degree in something I love and I want to do right. for part of my life, but I also have another career built in something else I love mm -hmm. that I could also get into at whatever point in my life if I want it, not if right. I need it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense. Um, and, and that's kind of like what it is for me. Like, I love what I'm doing with this podcast. It's not my full-time job. It's not, I have a full-time job, you know? Um, but you know, I would love to do this full-time, you know, and I, and, and I'm hoping to be able to get to that point, but I mean, no matter what I, you know, I just love doing what I'm doing and you know, whatever happens happens. Like I'm not, I'm not like, oh, well, this is my plan B or my plan A, no, like, it's just like, hey, whatever happens, happens. And like, if this takes off, like, you know, and I can do this full time, great. If, you know, if it's just, if it ends up being just like a hobby, a side thing, then that's okay too. You know, I mean, but no matter what, like, I see it as I'm doing it because I know it's, it's needed. The platform is needed. And it's like, I'm, mm -hmm. I just want to be one of those people to give that platform to women in motorsports, no matter what, like to me, it doesn't even matter about like the money that I'm putting into the podcast. It doesn't matter about, you know, the sponsors. Yeah, sure. Having sponsors would be nice, but it, it's not about that. It's about letting all these women share their stories. And that's what matters to me, you know? And it's like, at the end of the day, that's what this podcast is all about. And you know, and obviously no, it's yeah, the same yeah. thing with you. I, so. Yeah, I absolutely get that point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I get that point. Like, by no means am I getting paid for any of the articles <laughs> I'm writing. Right. I'm not getting paid a cent from the magazine because mm -hmm. we don't have any kind of ad sense or sponsors mm -hmm. um, on it. So <laughs> by no means am I getting I'm doing it completely for free, but right. I'm getting benefited in a way that I get to interview and meet these people mm -hmm. um, so I can be able to tell their story. And and yeah, like I have a podcast and I have Beyond Motorsport Media and all these things mm -hmm. and it, sponsors would be nice, it would be great, mm -hmm. but that's not something that I'm striving for. It's not something that I'm thinking 24-7 about. Right. Um, and it's not something on my priority list. Like my priorities, telling the stories, uh, interviewing the people that should and need to be interviewed and giving right. them a platform. And exactly. not, not at all about the money that I make from this. Like, no, I'm making no money from this. And I do mm -hmm. have my other job <laughs> with, with architecture. And that's yeah. where I do make my money. But I'm also not putting um anything as of now into the podcast because well um i did 
like by the the computer and the microphone but that's like it yeah Um, as of right now you know because well to start it's not like you need so many things Mm -hmm. and it's just what you you can start with what you have and that's what's important um in what we do yeah exactly i mean yeah and i'm the same way like what like my expenses when it comes to this podcast is not a ton of money you know like and 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 that's fine like i'm good with that because it's like you know i don't i i personally don't feel i need to have a full-blown production team to create this podcast you know and all of that it's not now i mean it's great that some people think that I have a full production team because they're like, Oh, well, like, you know, they think that I have a full production team, which is amazing because I mean, it is just me doing it. And if it sounds like I have a full production team doing it, that's great. But it's not, you know, it's just me. And it's like, you know, and I'm good with that. Like I want it to not be some full blown thing like that because no one, the money that it would cost to do it and two it's just not i mean to me it's like when you have too many people in like in it like hands in it like then it then you start to lose the authenticity of your podcast i think so for me it's like the whole point of my podcast is for it to be pretty much unfiltered like i'm not trying to edit everything out because life isn't edited anyway. Like, you know, you're going to have people interrupting. You're going to have things going on, you know? And so it's like, it's not necessary. Now, of course, like I, I'll get rid of like a lot of dead space, but that mm-hmm. that's it. Other than that, I don't edit because it's like, hey, you know, things happen. Life happens. And, you know, I mean, that's the whole point of this is for everybody to share their stories unfiltered and not have to worry about being professional, professional. Like Mm -hmm. this is not a professional interview. This is like, Hey, we're just talking. We're having a conversation. You can be yourself and you don't have to feel like I'm going to drill you with questions. Like this is a press conference or something like you can be yourself. And I think that's why, like, I, I feel, you know, making this more conversational is what matters because then it's like you can really you know your personality comes out you're not you're not feeling like really uptight like this is some really stressful like professional interview um you know for a tv show or something like that that's going to be heavily edited and you don't even know if what you said is exactly what is going to be shown on tv because they could put things together you know like no it's going to be exactly how this comes out and like you know i'm not gonna change anything and it's like i just leave it alone now unless somebody tells me hey can you please edit that out like i should have never said that absolutely like the last the first episode of the podcast i Mm -hmm. posted like i forgot to edit out the dead space on it and i was just like well it's kind of whatever Mm-hmm. I'm just, you know, like the whole premise of what I'm doing is getting everything on editing, unedited. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not posting anything that's heavily edited All unless right. it's, like you said, taking out the silences. Um, yeah. 
certain parts, but um, to me, it's not important that it's heavily edited, that mm -hmm. everything has to match up. Like, no, if I might miss a dead space or two right. once in a while, and that's fine. It happens. Mm -hmm. But, but yeah, no, like, it's, it's not important to be heavily edited or, or anything. Yeah. Um, yeah, like the whole premise is to post all interviews and podcast episodes episodes unedited. Mm -hmm. um, so people like actually get to see what whoever I'm talking to are like. Right. In real time. And they get to see like mm -hmm. how they are behind the scenes when it's not like a bunch of cameras in their face and you know, things like that. And it's like, you know, cause they don't get to really act like themselves, you know, on there because you know that they're either going to cut certain things out because, mm -hmm. you know, it is not to their narrative or to their liking. And so with this, they can be free to express themselves however they want. Like, I'm not going to tell them they can't say something. I'm not going to tell them that they can't curse. Like they can say whatever they want. Um, and I think, I think that's why, like, you know, I, that's why I always automatically tell them before I hit record. I'm like, hey, this is conversational. I don't care if we go off on a tangent and we end up talking about something random for like over an hour. No big deal. Like, just like, like us, we've been talking for what? Uh, wow. Almost yeah, long, three hours. Yeah. Almost three hours. Like, that's crazy. But, but still, it's like, hey, you know, it's no big deal. Like, first of all, podcasts can be however long you want. Um, but at the same time, it's like, you know, why not? Like, just talk about whatever you want. Like, that's the whole point of a podcast. It's like, you can be in my podcast is that you can be free to express whatever you want and say whatever you want. And you don't have to feel like you're going to be judged for it. You know, because I mean, let's be real. The media is pretty judgy and they're, they're not like, if you say mm -hmm. something wrong or you say something that like to them doesn't sound professional, they're going to either edit it out or they're going to bash you on, you know, on TV about it. And that's not, you know, and that's not me like, Hey, like we're just talking here as if we're friends. Like, I don't, it doesn't matter. You know, it's like, hey, if after this, if after this podcast interview, we end up like becoming friends, great. Like, I'm good with that. You know, if we don't and we're just cool with each other, okay, like that, that's fine. You know, because that, that's the way I see it. It's like, I love, I love meeting, you know, new people um, that mm. have like the similar interests. And obviously, motorsports is a similar interest. And I, and I love talking about it with people, but like, and, and so it's like, hey, at the end of the day, if we're still talking like after this and like we want to like just talk to each other randomly on Instagram whenever we feel like it, great, you know, like or, you know, if we even want to like talk on the phone one time or whatever, like it, it doesn't matter. Like to me, it's like, hey, you know, if as long as you got a chance to share your story, that's what matters to me. It's like, you know. And I try to make everybody feel as comfortable as possible because it's like, you know, sometimes you don't get to share certain things, you know, that you would want to share to the world because you're not given the platform to do it. And yeah, it's like, 
why not no yeah absolutely like um yeah like i agree with with your point and it's the exact reason why when i send emails to interview people mm -hmm. for the magazine i specifically got my english <laughs> it's okay <laughs> I specifically say I want to request a one-on-one -on -one interview. Right. Like I don't want anyone else on there, just the driver or the content creator, whoever it is, and me, no one else. Mm -hmm. um, because that that's where they, they can have a space where they feel right. comfortable in themselves and there's no one else watching them. There's not a ton of cameras around and mm -hmm. they know that um i'm gonna be a hundred percent real with them and, right. and honest and i'm not gonna go and, and write an article that's uh 20 of what they said uh, right. on the interview you know like i'm not gonna edit everything and i'm mm -hmm. not gonna cut off anything that they've said and i'm obviously gonna keep it a hundred percent real with You're them right. and i'm gonna talk to them as if they're a human being because that's what they are and they shouldn't be treated differently or like celebrities right. like yes they have a following and they're famous they're drivers or whatever but that doesn't mean they need to be treated differently right and see and that's another thing too it's like yeah i mean on the podcast you know some people that i've had on you know yeah they're you know they have pretty big names But to me, yeah, like I feel the same way you do. They're human beings first. Like that doesn't, just because they might be a little bit more known, they're still regular people just like you and me. Mm -hmm. Like the only difference is that they have a name that's recognized. That's it. Like you hear that name and it's like, oh yeah, I know who that is. Uh, you know, that's it. Um, other than that, It's like, they're no different. Like they still, you know, they still do regular things like we do, you know, outside of racing, you know, they, they have their friends that they go hang out with, you know, like they still do regular, normal things that we do. It's just that unfortunately they, they might have to have a little bit of security if they go out in public, you know, or Or, or something like that. Sometimes not even, it really just depends on, you know, where they live or whatever. Because sometimes people don't bother you. But yeah, that would be like the only difference. They might have to have people watching them, you know, if they try to go somewhere because, you know, people don't know how to leave them alone. But besides that, they're still regular people like us. And, you know, they should be treated with that type of respect. And yeah, that's why like, I don't, That's why I always tell them like, hey, this is conversational. It's not professional interview. You can say what you want. Like, I'm not going to be like, hey, you know, uh, you know, let's cut it here. You know, I don't want you to say it like that. No, like say whatever you want. I don't care if you curse either. Like I curse sometimes, like depending on whatever it is, you know, but, you know, I don't drop f-bombs all the time or anything but like sometimes something might come out and it's like it's no big deal um because we shouldn't have to filter ourselves you know to cater to people like that's the whole point it's just for us to be us and it's like that means that you curse okay no big deal but yeah i, I just think it's like you know more more drivers i think that's why like 
our podcast, like people are willing to come on it and do and do things like that mm-hmm. is because they know that they can actually be themselves. They know this is not going to be some strict thing like, you know, like a lot of media uh, appearances. They don't have to have their publicists there. They don't have to have anybody like that there hope, you know, hoping that, you know, something's not going to come out. Right. And then that they're going to have this big PR nightmare. Right. Like, no, <laughs> like you guys can say whatever you want. Now, I mean, if you feel you have to hold back because you don't want to have to deal with that at the end of the day, I mean, that's on you. But besides that, you know, we're not like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna hold you accountable for that. I'm not gonna bash you because you said something like, no, like we are all different people with different opinions. And that's kind of the whole point is we want to hear different people's perspectives on everything, you know? No, yeah, exactly. And, 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 um, on my Instagram, like Mm -hmm. on Beyond Motorsport Media, like I, I post like, Hey, I'm doing my schedule for it this month. And like, whoever wants to come on, like, let me know, send me a message. Like I'm trying to meet people and also support whatever projects they are doing and, and whatever. Um, so yeah, it's, to me, it's more important to showcase who they are whether it's drivers or other podcasts um Mm -hmm. or content creators not um not what they're i mean how do i say this not um who they are in front of media and Mm -hmm. uh cameras no it's just who they are outside of it like for a reason it's called beyond motorsport it's who you are beyond Right, your career in racing in motorsport, and and that's what's important to me and and my project. Yeah, and no, and I totally agree with you because yeah, I mean, unfortunately, some of these drivers have to put on a facade in front of cameras. You know, mm-hmm. they don't get to really be their true selves because it's like they're you know their publicists or you know their PR person's like, hey, you can't say this, you can't do this, you can't do that. Because, you know, um, you're going to end up with like a really bad article about yourself that in the next day and I'm going to have to deal with it. And so and, and like they shouldn't have to feel that type of pressure all the time. You know, they should be able to be themselves and not have to worry about, oh, my gosh, the next day because I said this one thing and it got taken out of context. You know, like this could possibly end my career you know, because now people are going to hate me. Like they shouldn't have to feel on edge like that all the time mm-hmm. because, because they're not sure what they should say or what they should do. Or, or if, you know, if somebody's going to take what they said the wrong way without all the context involved or that the media doesn't totally edit the things and put stuff together and make up a whole nother sentence that they never even said, because that happens sometimes, you know, they don't have to worry about that with us. It's like, no, like this is going to be raw. It's going to be, you know, completely unfiltered. You can say what you want and you don't have to worry about all of that stuff. And it's like, yeah, I mean, it's going to go out to our audience and you never know. You might have some people that might not agree with it, but it's not going to be on on a massive scale to where 
you're going to have to worry about PR problems and things like that. Like, no, like you can just say what you want and be real with everybody. And it's like, you know, and honestly, more people will actually like you for it because it's like, you're being real. Like this is a side of you that they might not have seen before because behind the camera, you can't be that way. And it's like, oh, like this person's a real person. Like, you know, like they're actually pretty cool as a person. And yeah, like that's kind of like how I want people to see my guests. It's like, oh, so this is what they really are like, like outside of motorsports, outside of being behind a camera, all that, like, or, you know, being in front of a camera, depending on what they do. It's like, they're, they're no different than us. Yeah. yeah, no, absolutely. And just the other day, like I, at these were driver interviews that I haven't told, oh, hey, this is going on my podcast. Um, mm -hmm. I do send an email like asking for permission, like, hey, can I yeah. use this for my own personal project? And just the other day when I sent uh, the email for the first episode, when I got the permission, like I, I told them like, hey, this is going to be completely unedited. And mm -hmm. if you want to if you want me to cut anything out, like let me know. And I did that because on that interview, mm -hmm. um, we had a, a, a small situation where my cat, she was playing outside and she got on the top of the window. So she climbed mm -hmm. on top of the window and it was really funny. <laughs> and the interview it was a great deal funny. Um, and then he had his dogs barking on the background, but you know, that's life, it happens. Yeah. It's things that happens, and and if they wanted me to cut that out, like that was fine. But they were completely okay with it being unedited online, yeah. with funny version of our pets going crazy and stuff. And it was really funny, but right. and I also failed miserably at that interview. It was the second time I was interviewing someone, so and that wasn't like great either. Um, but you know, that's me learning, right? to work this sport. Yeah. And see my first interview, I wasn't that great either. Like I really wasn't like, I look back on it and I cringe because I'm like, mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, like that was horrible. But now it's like, Oh, like I can tell the difference, um, with how I interview people now. Um, it's like, wow. Like it's the night and day difference because it's like, I've, I can tell I've gotten a lot more comfortable talking to people because, you know, I'm outside of this. And it's like, people kind of wonder, like, it's like, oh, you do a podcast. So you must be like a major extrovert. No, I'm like the biggest introvert ever. Like, I don't really talk to people at all. Like, it, it honestly scares me to death, like, to talk to people half the time. It's been people that I don't know. Like, I will never, like, approach people unless I really have to. Um, and so this is like completely out of my element, but I love it because it's like, it's making me get over that fear of number one, being on camera because I hate being on camera. I don't like to be on camera at all. And then two, you know, talking to people because, um, I normally don't talk to people for a long period of time because it's like, I, I either number one, get bored or two, I just, um, like I run out of things to say. But if I get really comfortable with somebody, then I can talk forever. Like, obviously with you, I'm very comfortable because I mean, <laughs> we're going on, you know, almost three hours yeah. now and like, I've talked to you forever. Like as if I've known you forever. 
And it's crazy because normally I don't do that with somebody that I've never met. Um, and I've done that a few times with, you know, some, uh, with some guests where I've actually talked to them for a long time, even after, you know, we turned off the recording and it's like, you know, if I get that comfortable with you, like, that's a really good thing because I don't get comfortable with really anybody. Um, and so, yeah, like, you know, it's like, it really depends on like the vibes that people give off, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and so, yeah, that means like, obviously I'm really comfortable talking to you because it's like, I wouldn't talk to just anybody this long. Um, and so it's like, it's funny cause it's like, yeah, you're like the longest interview I've ever had, but it's good yeah. though. You know? No, yeah. Um, I'm completely the opposite. I used to be introverted, mm -hmm. but then, uh, when I got into college, I became very extroverted and I can talk for clearly long amounts of time <laughs> yeah if i could like i could talk all day every mm -hmm. day like i do that with my best friend like mm -hmm. we send each other voice notes that are 30 minutes long wow. 20 minutes long and and we just sit there and listen to each other while we do things and yeah. we talk and it and it's it's crazy because um it just reminds me how uncomfortable I was with people and now mm -hmm. how comfortable I am with people. But I'm yeah. also like you, like I don't like being on camera and I'm still learning and navigating that um, being on camera. But I've gotten more comfortable over the past two months that I've been doing and working in this sport. Mm -hmm. And yeah, the, like the difference of me being on camera the first time I was so yeah. uncomfortable. I was very nervous. Didn't know what to say. The person I was interviewing, thank God, he talked a lot. Yeah. <laughs> because I would have not known what to do with myself if he hadn't. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, after that one first interview, I got comfortable because he was so, uh, like, he was nice to talk to. Like, mm -hmm. he was very welcoming and, and friendly to talk to. So, that made me get more loose and to loosen up um mm -hmm. with being on camera and being comfortable like that but yeah no that the difference from the first interview to the last few interviews i've had right. huge difference yeah the same way like my first interview was probably the shortest interview i ever did mm -hmm. because and, it, and it's not and it was it had nothing to do with the guests um it, it was just me because it's like I w was trying to, I wasn't, I wasn't doing it as much of a conversation at that time. I almost like blurred that line between a conversation and a professional interview. And so it kind of, it, so it kind of went weird because of that. But then it's like, after that, I got more comfortable and I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to really do it as much of like a professional interview and I started getting comfortable. And then I had another podcast interview uh, that kind of almost went professional, but it was because of how the the guest was. Like, I almost had to make it more professional. I mean, there were some parts that were kind of conversational, but it became more, almost more of a professional interview. And I really didn't want it to be that way. And I think that, but it was kind of like, I wasn't comfortable, I guess, some for some reason. Um, because I guess because I, the way she answered things kind of threw me off 
And then like, mm -hmm. I didn't really know how to bounce back from that, um, which is okay. It's just that I still was new at, at interviewing people like that. So, um, and, and also it was, um, it was a racing organization that I wasn't fully like, I hadn't really immersed myself into. So like, I didn't really know a lot about. And so there was times where I would get confused, you know, cause I'm like, <laughs> I don't really know much about that sport, uh, you know, that organization. And so I was like, uh, you know, I could tell that like, it was making it harder for me to like ask questions or, um, or really conversate because I was, it was just, she would, sometimes she was talking about things I didn't know. Um, and so, yeah, it's like, I kind of had to, uh, like there was more dead space. There was things going on, you know? But after that, it's like, I, I was fine because after that, like, I didn't really interview people that were in that organization. I mainly, I was mainly interviewing people in organizations that I was familiar with. So it, it didn't, you know, it, it felt fine because it's like, I knew what to talk about and I didn't really have to like think about what I was going to ask them, you know, cause it's like, it came more natural. That one was not as natural because it was like a totally different thing that I wasn't to talking about so yeah i've had two interviews like that as well but it's more of how the guest was like i knew who they were and mm -hmm. I, I knew uh some information about them right but the way that they were um, i think it's because of more of their age because they were younger drivers mm -hmm. into let's say 15 16 years old oh okay. so that's kind of a, a harder age to interview when it comes to drivers um because they're not like as talkative as much uh as older drivers would be mm -hmm. um and i guess they also get that pr training of what to say and what not to say on interviews yeah. as well and they follow that a lot um so it, yeah it was me asking thousands of questions that i was only getting short answers to Oh, okay. And it, yeah. those were more of my shorter interviews and it kind of made it awkward for the driver and also uncomfortable for me because yeah. I wasn't feeling comfortable with what I was asking or what I wasn't, who I was interviewing as well. Yeah. So, yeah. I've only had one interview so far of a young driver. She's 14. Um, and like, with her, actually, though, it was I was actually surprised how much she talked. Um, but then it's like after her mom was like, hey, do you think I can listen to that interview? Because, see, she hadn't been trained um, yet when it came to, like, any PR type stuff. So she was just talking to me like she had no filter at all, which I, I don't have a problem with. But her mom was like, hey, can I listen to that podcast before it comes out? Which is not going to come out for, for you know, a, a little while. Um, but she was like, can I, can I listen to it? Because I didn't train her how to do interviews. And so yeah. I don't know if she said anything that she wasn't supposed to say. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. Like, you know, like you still have a few weeks before that podcast interview comes out anyway. So I was like, yeah, like it's no big deal. And I'm like, just let me know what you want me to edit out. Like if you need me to. Um, so I don't know, I don't know if I'm going to have to, um, but we'll see, you know, 
Um, we'll see what, what happens, but yeah. Uh, that's the only one I've had so far. And I have one more um, next week. She's 15, but she runs, I mean, she runs in a NASCAR sanction type thing. So she's probably at PR training, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I'm sure that she probably knows what she can say and what she can't. Um, so I'm not sure how that one's going to go, but, um, but yeah, she probably is a little more trained on that on like yeah. what she can say and what she can't. Um, but the girl I interviewed, she hadn't been trained yet. And so she was just talking like we talked for a while because it's like after the recording, we still talked for about an hour and a half after that, you know? Um, so, cause I mean, she's pretty much around the same age as my, as she's the same age as my youngest daughter. And so like, mm -hmm. you know, like I was talking to her for a little while and stuff and yeah, like she was really, she's, she's a really good kid, you know, but, um, but yeah, she was, she didn't have any filter like whatsoever. She was just like going and I was like, oh, okay. Like I was really shocked because yeah, a lot of times when you like interview kids or whatever, a lot of times they are, they tend to be very timid and don't really say much at first anyway, because, you know, it's, it's just, they're not used to really being interviewed and, and it's just awkward for them sometimes. But no, like she opened up right away. Like she didn't even, like she didn't even stammer. I was like, wow, like, you know, she just wanted to talk. She was okay with it. <laughs> <laughs> but um i don't think she has really had any interview experience like much you know like i know she said she had like been interviewed for like a radio station and that was very strict and like she said it was like really hard for her because they were kind of making her feel awkward you know because obviously it's on radio so it had to be way more professional and i guess for her that was harder for her to do Cause she's like, I wanted to like, just be myself and crack jokes and stuff. And they were acting like I had said the wrong thing. And I'm like, Oh, it, it was one of those interviews. Like I could see why oh. like, and she's like, I just wanted to be able to be myself. And I really couldn't. And I'm like, well, look, you can be completely yourself on here. Like I told her that before we even started recording. And I think that's why she was so comfortable and she was able to just like talk because she was able to crack jokes and stuff. And I didn't have a problem with that. You know, I'm like, yeah, no, go ahead. Like, I'm like, I do it too. In, in the podcast sometimes, like, especially like, I mean, when you and I were talking about certain things, it's like, you know, we both laughed about it and it's like, it was no big deal. Um, yeah. Like, why not? Like, who cares? Um, I'm like, cause that's you, that's your personality. And that's what I told her. I'm like, that's your personality. And I'm not going to make you like hinder your personality because I want it to I want this interview to go a certain way. Like, oh. No, yeah, and that's and, and it's a conversation. Like, yeah, conversations don't have to be strict or have a format or yeah. sorts. Yeah, and that's why I told her I'm like, be comfortable. And I'm like, if we go off on a tangent and talk about random stuff, it doesn't matter. Like, I'm not gonna keep this some strict format. Like, oh, we have to talk about this. We have to talk about that. And then at the end, you've got to talk about this. No. We do whatever we want. Like, you know, bullshit for a couple hours. Like, I'm not worried yeah. about it. Like, I mean, that's what we're doing right now. But, but <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, I feel like drivers and, and pretty much anybody in motorsports, 
needs to be able to be chill sometimes and just mm-hmm. say what they want and not feel they have to be they have to stick to a format and be like oh i've got to say this i can't say this i have to act this way like no like let's yeah, let's they not just, do that they just need to be people and and be human so yeah yeah and i mean that's what we are we're humans and like we're people yeah. and we and we are we're all different and we talk about certain things like or we're in you know, we're into certain things that other people aren't and it's like we're just being ourselves and that's what matters here like we just all need to be ourselves and be authentic you know i mean people push the whole authenticity thing but it's like but you've got to actually be it. Like you can't just mm-hmm. say it and then you don't act, and then you actually like filter yourself because you're mm-hmm. like, oh wait, I can't say that. Oh, just say whatever you want. Like if people get mad, they're not for you. Like that's how exactly that's exactly like how I feel that's, about it now. Yeah, that's <laughs> how it goes. No, yeah, even in, in my daily life, like mm-hmm. uh, usually, like some friends come and ask me things mm-hmm. um, because I'm completely unfiltered like yeah. if i don't like something i'll say it if i don't like someone i'll say it <laughs> um, if i don't get along with someone like yeah i'll say it yeah. and so i've got friends that they come and ask me things like hey i'm gonna ask you this thing because i can't ask it to any anyone else because mm-hmm. i know they won't give me a real genuine answer and yeah. you will mm-hmm. yeah i mean and that's what you want like I feel like some people, like, when it comes to their friends, they're like, oh, well, they'll get mad because you told them the truth. And it's like, well, would you rather me tell you the truth or just keep or just lie to you because it's what you want to hear? Like, you you know, because you want to hear that? Or should I tell you the truth, even though it might not be what you want to hear, but it's actually what you need? Like... yeah like i hate that because it's like you know they want you to be real with them but then it's like but then they don't really want you to be real with them like they they almost want you to be fake with them because it's like um if i tell you the full truth and it makes you mad and then you're mad at me because i told you the truth it's like then you really didn't want me to tell you the truth at all um yeah like and, and I do that sometimes. Sometimes I do make people mad, but it's like, hey, mm-hmm. I'm not, I would rather not lie to you because then that would be on my conscience forever that I lied to you, you know? And even if it hurts your feelings, I would rather tell you the truth than, than lie. Like that, that's, no, yeah, you know, because exactly. then I can go, I can go to sleep at the end, you know, at the end of the day and know that I didn't lie to you. Like, cause that would keep me up at night knowing that I lied to somebody. Like, I cannot. It's like, I hate Same. lying. No. Besides being terrible at lying, <laughs> like, I can't. Right. Like, and that's another thing, too. Like, you're really yeah. bad at it anyway. Yeah, I'm terrible at it. Um, but, like, I also don't have the capacity to do it. Right. Like, I either tell you the truth or I'll, I tell you nothing. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I'd rather like, it would do eat, that. It would eat at you, right? Like, mm-hmm. and like, and, and I, I couldn't live with myself because it's like, I know that I lied to you. And it's like, uh-uh, I can't do that. Like, that's why it's like, yeah. no, let me just tell you the truth now. You might hate me today, 
You might not talk to me for a couple days, but then you'll come back maybe. And if you don't, okay, I understand. But you know, I but it, at least it's not on my conscience that I that I block it to you. Like I can't do that. Like people. No, yeah, no, I do that. think that's that's also kind of a struggle of people my age, especially mm -hmm. like this new generation of going into adults like right i'm 21 and and like we are <laughs> on a step of like yeah we we are so young but we are also going into adulthood right mm -hmm. and they struggle with being truthful and being honest mm -hmm. a lot yeah and i mean i guess that's why i don't have that many friends that are my age and i do resonate more with older people and mm. I do get along more with older people it's because I I don't know why or how I <laughs> do have <laughs> um, much more of an let's say expanded mentality All right I mean life in general because um, just being truthful is something that um, you learned through life and experiences right. and something that also your parents um, teach you as well. And well, yeah, people, other people my age have a lot of a struggle with that. And, and yet yeah, I do resonate more with older people and, and yeah. Yeah. And I, I totally understand that. And see, I, mom, and honestly, I fall into older people category. <laughs> I'm 37. So I totally mm. understand like what you're talking about because I was the same way growing up. I always resonated with older people because it's like people my age, like I, I just didn't get how they can mm. act sometimes the way that they acted. Right. And it's like, you know, I'm like, why would you do that? And, and it's like, and then they would get mad at me because I'm like, you know, they, and then they would call me like an old person because obviously like I would think I thought like an older person and it's like, like, yo, you make that seem like that's a, like a bad thing. Like I didn't have that. I didn't like, I didn't think that that was an issue. Like I didn't think that that was like a derogatory thing, you know, because it's like, if that makes me old, because I think that you should treat people with respect and you shouldn't lie to people and you should, you know, be a decent human being, then man, I'm okay with being old. Like I would just <laughs> yeah. like, but yeah, like I had that problem too as a kid. And it's like, once I got older, like in high school and then in college, yeah. Like I mainly hung out with older people, you know? And then like, my husband's a little bit older than me and like, so his friends, but like, it's weird because it's almost like we've reverted. Like, cause his friends, most of our friends are younger than us. Most of them are around your age, like between, you know, <laughs> in their twenties though, you know? And it, it's weird because you would think that we would be friends with mainly people like our age or older. But the problem is, is that it's almost like if you go too old, you don't want to deal with those people. Like they're, you know, cause it's like they, because they, they treat you like a child. Right. Mm -hmm. But then it's like, you don't want to go too young either because then obviously you can't relate, you know? Cause I mean, they're kids like, and like 
they're probably old. They're probably like the same age as your own kids. So it's like, you kind of have to find that balance. <laughs> and so it's like the ones that are like, you know, people that are within their twenties, it's like, we're, we're actually able to like, really like communicate because it's like, we we're even though we might be older, my husband and I, we don't, we don't, even though we're like elder millennials, we don't act like it. Like we can, we can still relate to like older Gen Zers. We have Gen Z children, right? And so it's like we kind of can still relate. Um, and so it's like we're kind of like our mindsets are kind of a mixture, I guess, of Gen Z mentality and like millennial mentality at the same time. <laughs> but we don't think like our boomer parents either. So it's like, yeah, so um but we're getting up there in age to almost be Gen X, but we don't think like Gen X either. Cause a lot of them act like boomers. So it's like, we're kind of like that middle, you know? And I think, I think that's what makes it so different. And I think that's why we're able to like relate with people like of different ages um, that are younger than us, because it's like, you know, we kind of understand where you guys are coming from and like mm -hmm. we totally understand like the mindset that you guys have um and it gives us also more of a rounded like an all-around perspective on things too because it's like sometimes like i learn stuff from like gen z like some of the things that you guys do like y'all are not stuck in that work like hustle culture like that was something that was pushed on us you know and by our parents and gen and gen x right and so it's like we, we kind of got stuck in that, but like a lot of us are starting to get out of it now because of you guys. Cause it's like, oh, so we really don't have to do this. They lied to us. Like, fuck this. We're going to, we're going to do what Gen Z's doing. Like this, this whole quiet quitting thing. Oh, I'm doing that. Like mm -hmm. this, like, you know, like we're learning from you guys, like things that we should have done a long time ago, but we were too scared to do. Like we would, we would, we felt that same way that you guys did, but we weren't as open about it because back then we didn't have a way to be very open about it. And a lot of it has to do with social media. Like we had social media, but we only had MySpace. And then eventually we had Facebook when oh we were in college. You took yeah. me back so hard. <laughs> <laughs> MySpace obviously came around when we yeah. were teenagers. And then you have, then, Facebook, I remember when Facebook came out because like I, you had to have a college email address at that time. You couldn't just sign up for, for Facebook. I know because I had to use my college email address at that time. And they were only, and honestly, they had just made it available to the college that I was going to because only certain colleges had it, you know? Mm -hmm at that time and that was back in 2004 because i started college in 2004 and yeah like so we just were getting facebook right and so it's like we didn't really have the platforms to be able to go against the norm you know because myspace adults weren't on myspace you know it was just us really you know um you had some college students that were on it, but that was it. Like you didn't have any, you didn't have like Gen X and boomers were not on MySpace, and they weren't on Facebook at that time either. Cause like I said, you had to have a college email address. So 
they were completely off of social media. And then once Facebook made it readily available for everybody over the age of 18, that's when everything changed. And that's when you started having people's parents coming on Facebook. <laughs> yeah. Coming on. And then it's like all of this started to change. Right. And then it's like, then it just snowballed into, oh, you millennials or, you know, or Gen Z or horrible, blah, blah, blah. You know, they started complaining about us, about the younger generation and stuff and how we're nothing. And like, we're, we're, you know, we were entitled participation trophies and all this other stuff when you don't even realize you literally were trying to set us up for failure in an economy. Um, and, but you want to blame us like for your problems, but you know, I mean, obviously, and that'll never end, you know, it will always be our fault that, you know, Tide Pods, all that stuff, you know, they're going to blame all of us for all that crap. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, like they call us the high five generation, even though like it wasn't even us. Like, yes, it was some younger Gen Zers, but not the older ones that have jobs and stuff. Like, we're not doing that stuff. We're not licking toilets and doing all that. We're not doing all that stuff. That's the younger kids that are doing that. Not us. Like, I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to eat laundry detergent. Like, that's not. That's not. <laughs> not I mean, that was thinking. insane when that happened. I was like, how? Yeah. Why would you? Right. Exactly. Like I don't know. Like, I mean, I guess it's just a new thing. It's like, well, eh, as people want to yeah. see what it does, what it tastes like. Well, I've seen this. I don't know. I want to try it. I guess. I don't know. But yeah, like they were trying to blame us for it. Now I was like, oh no, uh-uh. millennials okay. have nothing to do with this. Millennials, we're older. We most of us, most of us have children. Like we're not out here doing this shit. Like y'all, y'all got the wrong generation. That's young Gen Z, not the older Gen Zs, not the ones that are in college trying to trying to do something with their lives. It's the ones that are little. They're like young teenagers. Those mm. are the ones that are doing that. Like not not yeah. older people. Like yeah, like it was just crazy things. And it's like you know, it's like so much has changed it's like you know social media has a lot to do with it like i mean now you can literally make a living off of the internet like that wasn't even a thing like people didn't even do that like i remember when youtube came out like that's Mm -hmm. how i'm dating myself like i remember when youtube became something and it's like you had these content creators that were just were actually starting to make careers out of it and it's like you know, that was never something that I ever would have thought happened. And it's like now, like, you know, people are doing it all the time. People are becoming creators and doing this full time. And it's like, you know, it's a new day and age. Like you can actually make a business just doing stuff Mm -hmm. on the internet. And it's like, you know, that's not something that was around when we were younger. Um, I mean, you've got kids that make more money than we do. Like oh my god! Doing, yes. No, like making like, millions of dollars. Like, I feel like I see all these like ten, twelve-year-old kids and yeah. YouTube kids thing making all this whole freaking money. <laughs> and I remember being that age, and we didn't have social media. Like yeah. Google 
was still being developed right like, it didn't exactly. have that amount of information like you could go on google and look up things and it would say oh we don't have this information yeah. i'm sorry mm-hmm. go to the bookstore right exactly like we had to do so much physic physically like researching things like that the internet wasn't it, it didn't have as much information as it does now and yeah it's like yeah there were like you said there were times where it couldn't find something for you mm-hmm. because it didn't have that information yet and so it's like it, it's just insane how that works it's like how far we've come and like now you know with social media it's like that's all people tell you it's like you've got to use social media to build up your business to build up your brand to do all this because the old school way that our parents did when they started businesses mm-hmm. is obsolete now Like you can't even do that anymore like social media is yeah. everything it is it's everything and and yeah, social media okay. can make you or break you because people get canceled mm-hmm. all the time <laughs> like it's it's just one of those things. And I, I mean, but it's also a good thing, like, especially with motorsports, like motorsports has come a long way, especially with social media being involved. It's like, you know, you're able to know, like get to know drivers, like for who they are and like, they can show behind the scenes stuff. They can do all kind of things, you know, that they wouldn't be, they wouldn't be able to, you know, years ago when you didn't even have yeah. social media, you know, like, you were just fully dependent on TV time. That's it. Like you couldn't show anything else behind the scenes. And so I think these drivers doing their own thing with a phone, literally with a phone, you know, um, they're able to kind of get their names out there on their own as well. And it's like, you know, that's something that wasn't possible, you know, even 20 years ago, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? Like you just didn't have that. Um, and so I think that's something that, you know, social media is kind of one of those love hate relationships, you know, it's like you, you're happy that it's here for certain reasons, because if you use it the correct way, it, you know, it can really be beneficial, but then obviously there's bad sides to social media as well. Um, and so, yeah, it's just one of those type of things, but I mean, it obviously helps us. I mean, cause yeah. it, it gives us, it gives us our jobs. It gives us what we're doing. Um, and you know, it gives us the platform to do it. So it's like, you know, it's like, you, you gotta be grateful for it, but then it's like, yeah, uh, you know, sometimes social media gets on my nerves, but it's like, but it, it literally at the end of the day is the reason why we even create what we create. The internet literally has given up, has given us the platform the platforms that we're able to use to be able to get our voices heard. So, yeah. No, yeah, absolutely. And if it weren't for social media, like we probably wouldn't even be doing what we're doing. Right. Like, especially now this year that motorsport is getting so much more noticed mm-hmm. and more projects are uh, coming out and stuff. Like we wouldn't be here if we didn't have social media at all. No. That's true. Yeah. And so it's like, it's something that we have to be grateful for because it's like, it literally gives us the platforms that we need. Um, yeah, like we had it easy mm-hmm. uh, compared to other people that have been in motorsport, let's say for over 20 years. Like they yeah. had to build that reputation of yeah. making connections. And like mm-hmm. now, like you just go on social media, you post and you're already making connections. 
with yeah. other people. And people from all over the world too. Cause I mean, mm-hmm. back then you were more, you were more like you, you pretty much were hindered because you had to pretty much only build your network where you lived. Right. Mm-hmm. Or within a certain vicinity because you didn't have, you didn't have that platform, right? You didn't have the internet to be able to, you know, reach people outside of your, even your time zone. Right. So it's like, even people, you know, within the same country as you, but just in different states or, or wherever, you know, and now like, I mean, my podcast is even being listened to people in Australia. Like Mm -hmm. I would have never thought that that would even happen. Cause obviously, you know, back then the only way you could even get in touch with people outside of the country was just by mailing a letter you know, mm-hmm. or possibly calling, but, oh my gosh, collect calls and things like that, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. You had that. <laughs> the old the, school calling. the right. Yeah. Right. Like 1-800-COLLECT type mm-hmm. stuff. <laughs> you didn't, but see, that was the only way you could inter- interact with people outside of the, outside of your country, unless you physically flew there, you know? that's it. You couldn't, you know, you couldn't really interact with people from other countries. Now people from all over the world can see your Instagram posts in less than a minute, you know, Mm -hmm. like it, it, and it's insane how far we've come. And like, obviously, I mean, just you and me talking right now, you're in South America, like you're not even in the same country as me. Right. And it's like when we're talking like in real time, like, you know, there's no, there's no glitching. There's no delay, nothing like that. And it's like, yeah, like that's something that most people would never even guess would have, you know, even happened now, you know, mm-hmm. it's like 20 years later, you know, it makes a huge difference. It's like, you know, we have so many different apps for everything and whatever. And it's like, yeah, we can communicate with more people all over the world. And I love that because it's like, you know, God, I've never been to South America. I couldn't even tell you like when I'll ever get the chance to go, which I would love to. I would love to go. Um, but it's like, you know, and I'm talking to you in real time. And it's like, you know, that's that's just insanity to me. You know, it's like most, most people would have never even guessed this would ever happen. So, but yeah, it's, it's just, it's really, it's really cool that, you know, meeting people from all over the world that are into motorsports, like, you know, like you and I are, is, is an amazing thing. And, you know, the, of course the internet gives us that, you know, that capability to be able to talk to people from all over the world, you know, and be able to discuss like what we're into and, and not, you know, and not have that barrier of land, like, you know, like it's no big deal that we don't live in the same country. Like, we can actually still communicate. So yeah, I think that's an amazing thing that we both, you know, get an opportunity to do. Yeah, no, I completely agree um, with your point, like being able to talk to people all around the world, like if talk to people in Poland, in the UK, in mm-hmm. Australia, and, and it's insane that I can do that with this little box right. of technology. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. Like, and I, I think it's an awesome thing. And uh, man, like, I mean, 
it, it's just it's just really cool to be able to do something like this and be able to talk to you. And obviously, I mean, I love what you do. And obviously, I mean, I know we're like in the same industry, but like, I love that you're that you're wanting to kind of like do the same thing and just like give women, you know, that platform because more there needs to be more of us that do it. Mm-hmm. Like, there's not enough. There's not enough podcasts that do it. There's not there's not enough platforms. Period. And it's like we need more of them. Um, and it's like, hey, why not? Like, you know, it's no big deal. Um, it's like, like I like my whole my whole spiel about it. It's like collaboration over competition. Like, we should be collaborating, not competing because it's like there's so many women in motorsports like it's unreal like there's so there's so many you know like to cover all of them would be hard to do (laughs) and it's like you know so it's like if we can support each other in any way whether that means like i get certain people on my podcast and you get certain people on your podcast Mm -hmm. i send people to yours to hear those stories and you send people to mine to hear those people's stories like it doesn't matter like it's they're still getting that platform no matter what whether it's from me or if it's from you um and that's all that matters is like all women in motorsports need to have that voice and so it's like no matter where they get it from so no yeah absolutely like we need that platform we need that social media presence in whatever form it is yeah no, I agree. And it's like, I'm glad that both of us are making the effort to do that, you know, and create this for, you know, for women in motorsports, because it's like, it's been a long time coming. This needed to be out there a long time ago. And it's like, it, it took forever, but it's okay. You know, like, finally, they're going to start getting the platforms that they deserve that yeah that's an amazing thing so yeah absolutely so guys i know this was a long episode trust me i'm not trying to be like joe rogan where my episodes are always like three to four hours long that is not the case here so it just so happened that obviously isabel and i had a lot to talk about Um, And I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. So definitely um, keep up with everything we've got going on by subscribing to the VIP section newsletter on racewipeunfiltered.beehive.com slash subscribe uh, to make sure that you, you know, keep up with like our upcoming guests. Um, Also, Remember that with the newsletter, if you are subscribed, you get to listen to this podcast at 7 a.m. Central on Thursdays instead of 7 p.m. Central on Thursdays. So you get to listen to the podcast hours before everybody else does. Um that is my thanks to you for subscribing to the po- uh, to the podcast newsletter um, and also, um, you know, just wanting to be a part of the community. Um, you know, the VIP section newsletter is literally where I post everything about what's going on uh, with the podcast, any behind the scenes things that's going on. I do this on Mondays and 
and on Thursdays. So check it out and um, make sure you guys follow uh, for next week. Uh, we have a special guest, uh, a driver that is making a big name for herself. Um, I will not say where what she drives in because if I tell you the series she drives in, you'll probably guess it. But um, she's definitely uh, she's a she's very young. She's only fifteen years old, and she's got a lot going for her. Um, and I can't wait for you guys to hear her story. So um, I'll see you guys next Thursday. Take care. Bye.